Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello. Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. This is going to be a fun one. A really fun one. Oh, what? You mean this podcast that's powered by... Biggs. Change it up. Short. You, know. mean, you did that. Biggs. <laughs> did you see what I did? Yeah. As you leveled it out? Yeah, you went to sleep. Yeah, I know. Meditating? I, yes. Nice. Yeah, because look, that was like going into the headphones and you had a nice tone like a nice ohm almost going there yeah that felt good uh felt good to me i know there's several people out there who it did not feel good to they did not like it jeff dix yes sure he's one he's (laughs) definitely one listen this is our first podcast since uh the podcast we did on the camp i'm still riding high from it and i'm really excited for our guest today because it's somewhat a result of the camp uh and i just know that the hysterics, the Hoosier Hysterics fans out there are going to love this one. But before we get to that, a couple quick announcements. We announced on the last one, it is official, November 16th, this coming November 16th, in Bloomington, Indiana. Indiana plays Troy. We don't know the time of the game, but we are doing the first ever Hoosier Hysterics event in Bloomington. It's a gathering of hysterics. That is right. We'll have to come up with like a something to call that what is a official hysterics gathering so we need another alliteration something yeah. with an h like not a herd of hysterics not a harem we don't want to say harem no. that sounds wrong yeah i i, I hmm. we'll work on that yeah yeah we'll work on that oh, but the tweet at us if you have yeah, a good what th- should we call it the uh, hoosier you know there's a thing in the cigar world called a herf <laughs> where people get together that's a real thing people get together and just drink and smoke cigars they called a herf this could be a hoosier hysterics herf i'm totally okay with herf yeah. i think we still open it up to sure, suggestions but that's but one herf is the front runner yeah sure. it rhymes with nerf yes smurf it rhymes it with smurf rhymes with smurf november 16th location to be determined we're, we're talking to several places we will have information on that we do have confirmation former players will be there uh and remember i said this on the last podcast we are going to be giving away a few prizes over the next many weeks. We're going to have some kind of drawing to give them away, but you're going to have to listen to the podcast to get them. One of the gifts uh, that we're giving away are tickets to Indiana versus Purdue this season at Assembly Tur- Hall. Purdue, I believe that's that is how I say it the, online. Yep, officially. Purdue. Uh, also, the chance to to see the IU shoot around and to play basketball on 
Assembly Hall's court. So that's going to be something we're giving away. Giving away. Giving away dreams. Giving away dreams. And the second dream is an Indiana Pacers versus Charlotte Hornets game in December, I believe, um, where you get to sit in a suite, the private suite up there, and then get to meet Vic and Cody after the game and take a picture. I believe you get to hear Vic sing and you get to feel Cody's biceps also. <laughs> sure. Right? Hey, what you do once you get there is up to you. <laughs> so we're going to give away three of those. That's three tickets that we're going to give away for that. And is that all going to be at the Herf? Like you have to listen to the podcast we're, we will, to I, qualify and then the winners get announced at the Herf? Look, we're figuring this out as we go. Right. So I like that idea. I like the idea that we announce the winners at the Herf uh, in November, and uh, and we will have details in a couple weeks on what the contest will be. Also, it may include Twitter, so follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, No Vowels and Hysterics. I just want to put one more button on the camp journey before we get into this, if I might. The response that Hoosier fans have sent you and I on the Pigs message boards and Twitter mm-hmm. has been overwhelming yeah i mean there have been comments both from people who um are just fans of the podcast and fans of indiana like you and i who are recounting stories of how much indiana basketball means to them and how it connected them with their fathers or their family or their moms and how listening to the journey that i was just lucky enough to go on uh, connected them more to the program and they got to live vicariously through that has made me emotional several times. It has definitely brought tears to my eyes. It, uh, I had a conversation with my girlfriend who's from California, not a basketball fan, though Though I brought her to Indiana a couple years ago. Your, your passion is infectious. She sent me a text. I sent her one of the messages I got that was somebody describing their relationship with their father mm. and, and what Indiana basketball meant. And she said to me, this journey that you went on and reading these messages, I now really understand what this means to you mm. and what it means to Indiana fans. And it's true. And just going on this journey with all of you guys, has it just makes it powerful and meaningful. And a special shout out to the fellow podcasters in the IU space, Assembly Call, yep. uh, Ben Malcolmson, um, the the comments that you guys have made, the support that you have given us online, when in a different world we would be considered competitors in some way, and we are not, we're friends, the support and the things that they have said have, have been just, just, they floored me. Well, and about the it being the name on the front, yeah, it's, it's, it's true for the fan base too, You're right? Right? You know, it's like that. Uh, there was no there. I should have been so jealous of you. I should have been <laughs> raging with jealousy. But I just and I think this is you know being being in the shoes of all our listeners and the people following your journey. We're just so happy for you and happy for everybody who was there. And as we'll learn for former players, there was a happiness to being there too that we all felt and it was infectious. And it's just so healthy for the program. You know, like how much lamenting and hand wringing has been going on about our fan base tweeting negatively at recruits. Right. Okay. I don't really, you know, I'm not really in the Twitter verse. I'm just on there when you tell me to check stuff out, but I will say the positive energy coming out of really 
all the feedback we get from these, but particularly from this weekend, it's it's life affirming. It one hundred percent is, and it also is extremely entertaining. And so I'm going to just read you one story that I got. Uh, so here's a message I got. Uh, karma came back and hit me in the ass hard after laughing about Eric's butthole incident at the camp because that night my dog threw up on my entryway and I had to mop it up and it's real tile and let me tell you pine saw and water are very slick when it comes to wearing tennis shoes because I took one step on my tile and I went horizontal with the ground, landed on my tailbone as a UPS driver. Anytime I turned the steering wheel, I was in immense butthole pain. And I just thought about you the whole time, saying to myself, I shouldn't have laughed at Eric. So Yes, you should have. It's what, it's it's what, what we do. It's what we do. But thanks for sharing. We love the stories. We love all the messages you guys post. Who was that from? Uh, one second. Yeah, we'll give him Andy a Andy Nance, at Andy underscore Nance. So please give him a follow. Andy Nance party. There you go. Andy Nance party. Hopefully Andy will be there in November uh, for our party. With a fully recovered butthole, from which I understand yours has not fully recovered. Not fully. Not fu- maybe never. And yeah. worth it. Well, worth yeah, it. Yeah, we'll see if when we do our next podcast if you've, you've had to see a doctor. Yeah, it may happen. <laughs> you gave I yourself you. a week to recover, yeah, right? If by this coming Monday <laughs> things aren't right, Things are things are regular. Yeah, we're gonna call a doctor that I never wanted to call before <laughs> in my life, and we'll just see how it goes. Before we get started, we have to do this. Shout out, August 29th. We're recording this on August 30th, but on August 29th, it was someone special's birthday. It was a special person to anybody who's a real Indiana fan. If you're a real Indiana fan, join us in saying a very special happy birthday to Jeff. Rab Johns. Happy birthday, Jeff. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Rabbi. Happy birthday to you. Did we harmonize? <laughs> If it is, it's the first time I've ever harmonized. <laughs> I don't know what was that. Rabbi, happy birthday, buddy. You know we love you. Uh, you know that the Hoosier Hysterics fan base and the Pigs fan base at large loves you. Happy I, birthday. I feel like this podcast wouldn't exist if Rabbi didn't exist. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The guy is a stud, and he just turned 24 years old. Wow. So happy birthday. So accomplished. So accomplished. Been working hard. Who's your hysterics? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hysterics Nation, Eric has new friends from this magical weekend he had. One of Eric's new friends is on the line. It, it may be a little much to say he's a friend. I, I mean, I would call him my best friend, but I don't know how he would characterize it. We'll find out. We'll let him weigh in on it. Why, why don't you give us some background on this gentleman, and then we'll reveal his identity. Could not be more excited to talk to this gentleman, hailing from Terre Haute, playing for Terre Haute South in high school, went to Indiana University, Indiana University, where all he did in his career was, you know, win the Big Ten Player of the Year, finish his career 12th all-time in points, 10th all-time in rebounds, third-team All-American. 
Honorable mention, Big Ten after his sophomore year. First player in the Bob Knight era to lead the conference in scoring. Hear that again. First player in the Bob Knight era to lead the conference in scoring. Drafted in the first round by the Orlando Magic. Played in the NBA. Had a career high of 37 points in 1994. Eighth best all-time in Big Ten scoring. He has the 20th all-time best scoring average for Indiana. He has the fifth all-time uh, scoring in Big Ten games at Indiana. Guys, this gentleman is a stud. Please, please welcome Brian Evans. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, I forgot to mention IU Hall of Famer, yeah, which yeah. just happened recently. Ooh. Yeah. So how you doing, buddy? Oh, man, I'm still coming down from last weekend. I can't believe it's Friday again, and I'm just thinking back to last week when I got to see you tighten your laces and go out there on the court. Well, let's talk about that. Let's start there for a second, because, of course, I have come back, and my feet haven't hit the ground since that weekend. <laughs> and uh, what, what was that camp experience like for you? You know, I didn't know what it was going to be going in, so this, this fantasy camp that you that you signed up for and came in town for, by the way, it was, it was great meeting you, and you brought a ton of color and personality to that weekend, which I think everybody else, you know, all these players that came from everywhere else were all kind of fired up and knew who number 11 was. <laughs> um, well, you know what? You. It was cool. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect when I came down. They they invited me maybe seven or ten days prior, so I didn't spend any time looking up pro camps. Really had no idea what to expect. So when I walked in and I learned that there was going to be a draft and I was going to be evaluating you, you guys, I was kind of caught off guard. I was like, "Oh, this is, this is a little more than what I thought it would be." Uh, but it was a ton of fun. There's a ton of spirit out there on the court. You, you know, guys are still getting after it and want to play. I don't have the desire to play at all. So it was kind of fun watching the guys that weren't all that uh, talented, didn't play college hoop necessarily, <laughs> but still love, you know, lacing them up and getting after it. And there's just, there's a ton of enthusiasm on the court. I, by the end of the weekend, I was, I was sad it was over. Now, uh, uh, I'm with you. I'm extremely sad, although still on a high a little bit, just reliving the moments. Uh, I want to just talk about how you and I met for the first time. So you came down, I saw you kind of walk down the stairs. There you were, Brian Evans, All-American. I was very excited to meet you. Our, our now mutual friend, Pat Graham, had connected us via text before the camp. So we knew we were going to do this podcast interview at some point. But I went up to you, and you just immediately were, I mean, you were just one of the more outgoing, welcoming guys that I've ever met in my life. You were just so easy to talk to. And... You told me after just a few minutes of chatting that you were going to draft me. Now that didn't happen. What happened so, in the draft room, Brian? Yeah, what ha was it? The evaluation <laughs> that you realized I cannot draft this guy. Well, you know what happens is you know, and I was trying to run this like I was an NBA team. I mean, I I had a war room and I was in there and I had my notes and I had you as a seventh round pick. <laughs> you, uh, I'll take that. I'll I think he that. went in the fifth round. Wow. <laughs> uh, that, that's what I thought. I was like, I bet he thought he could get you later, Eric. Yeah, yeah. And then somebody just thought his heart would make up for his lack of skills and got him early. That's not really what happened. <laughs> I will tell you what happened. It went. So, it was going so fast. So the pro camps guys had ranked the top 16 players who they've seen before in prior camps. So they gave us this list. And we had 30 seconds to make a pick. So – you know, you can imagine I watched everyone play for five minutes. Right. 
and I had, you know, I'm trying to match up faces with Jersey numbers and names that I didn't know. Um, and next, I mean, I look up, we picked, I think our fourth guy. So we're at like pick 16. I think you got, you would know. I mean, where were you on the box score? I don't know. Based on where you were on the box, were you in the first unit or second? I was in the first unit. First unit. Well, there you go. So you were a top, you were a fifth round pick at the latest. Well, let's be honest though. Bruiser Flint drafted me. There is a better than 50% chance that er- that Bruiser thought he was drafting Eric Pyatkowski. <laughs> hey. let's, let's be honest. That is possible. Hey. He, had, he, he had a little bit more athleticism than you, but your <laughs> jumper is right there with his. <laughs> no. I remember Eric Pyatkowski. Yeah, man. A real quick funny story about Eric Pyatkowski. So I played basketball through high school, and basketball was my life. Everybody who knew me knew that Indiana University basketball was my life. I loved it. And I played basketball whenever I could, but I wasn't that good. Played in high school. I come out, I move out to L.A. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't L.A. It was like my senior year of, high school, of college or junior year. I'm talking to my sister, who is a year ahead of me at, at, and at Indiana. And she tells me that I had hung out with her and some of her friends, you know, older girls at Indiana. And she tells me the next day, hey, my friend is like really into you. And I'm like, oh, wow, older woman, Indiana, good, this is a hookup. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, she really, like, she knows you. And I said, what do you mean she knows me? She goes, she knows about your basketball career. And I said, what? From Ledoux High School in St. Louis? She's like, yeah, she knew all about you. So I end up meeting the girl, and the girl's like, yeah, um, we've, you know, your career, like, unbelievable. I realized, like, maybe 30 seconds in, she thought I was Eric Pyatkowski. <laughs> And that was not the case. And once that realization happened, that girl wanted nothing to do with me. Nothing. That stings. Yeah, it did. It stung. It stung a lot. Is it still stinging? I feel like the way you said it, here's your little emotional towards the end of the story. I feel like maybe the sting is still there. It never goes away, Brian. It Bri- never goes away. <laughs> Brian, have you ever been confused with the crooner, Brian Evans? No, I haven't. Have you? But heard? you know what? I can. I've got some chops. That's the weird. I just don't bring them out for many people to see. Whoa, but like whoa, whoa. tonight, I'll be busting out a, a bottle of wine here in about seven hours. Yeah, and I'll have some Sinatra playing. Wait, wait. What's I'll your go to? What's your go to Sinatra song? My way. I like it. Let, give I me. Like it. Come on, give us a chorus. Yeah, yeah give like, us my kind of town. You guys, listen. That's a Victor Oladipo thing. <laughs> I can't believe you brought that guy it up. Falls for it every time somebody asks him to sing. No, 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 no. And by the way, I told you, I start off with some vino before I start singing. God, I'll just it makes do it sense. dry at noon. Fair. That is totally I, fair. I we're we're, sh- we're going to call you back in about eight yeah. hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to share this about Brian. And of course, I'm sure Brian will like poo-poo this, but this is true. So Brian is watching us warm up on the court like five minutes after Brian gets there. And Brian walks onto the assembly hall court and tells me like it's been a long time since he shot baskets on this court. And, and, Brian, it's correct to say you don't play basketball anymore, right? You haven't played in yep. a while. Not at all. So, I mean, I'm out there. I've already got a sweat going. I've probably put up like 200 shots because I am just, just trying to get to find some game. Brian comes out to the free throw line, the elbow, and just starts tossing up some shots. You didn't miss. I mean, you did not miss. I saw you make like 11 in a row. I was just watching you. It never goes away. The form is perfect. 
It just was all net all the time. It's like Bob Cousy and blue chips. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so, You're too kind. You're too kind. I don't know that I rattled off 11 in a row because if I did, I would have kept shooting. Um, <laughs> did but it, I do. You know, it is it's special, man, that building. And that's why, you know, you were all fired up. It's still, it feels like that to me. I, I don't know if you know my backstory, but I grew up get a, into it. a huge fan. I well, mean, let's let's do it. Let's go back to the beginning now. Let's talk about how you. Let's go way back to Terre Haute and you as a kid. How did you find the game of basketball, and how did you find your passion for Indiana University? Good questions. I, you know, I probably like most kids in Indiana. Uh, I think your parents toss you in the boys' club league when you're six or seven years old. So that's really that's how I got started. Not because I thought I was any good. Um. <clears throat> wasn't in love with it by any means, but had, had the Indiana University, you know, like hoops goal in the garage, right? So I don't know, it's probably two-foot wide backboard, Indiana University Hoosiers. It's like a large Nerf ball. <laughs> and, and so this was my hoop that I had at the house. And, um, you know, it just quickly, we start watching games. My dad's got the Hoosiers on. You got the, the lady in the back sweeping the floors. Only a Hoosier fan would know what that means. Yes, Martha. Um, so that's what we did. You know, so I'd watch games and then at halftime run out, chuck up some shots and, you know, fell in love with the game over the course of time. And but always loved the program. You know, before I was really all in, you know, I'm going to say I'm eight years old. I'm born in 73. You know, Isaiah, Randy Whitman and Kitchell win a title. Uh, Kitchell and Whitman, two of my favorite players still to this day. And it's uh, it's hilarious to me, to be honest with you, that. I look up to those guys like you can't believe. It doesn't matter. I still see those guys. I'm like, that's Randy freaking Whitman yes. right there. <laughs> I just played a round of golf with Randy Whitman. I can't believe it. So it's still, it never wears off. You know, when you're, when you're a kid and those are your heroes, that, you know, much like the Eric Pikowski breakup story, I mean, <laughs> it never goes away. That, you know, that little sensation never leaves. Do you remember watching the 81 title game? Do you have a memory of that game? You were eight years old. Absolutely, yeah. In Philly, right after Reagan was shot, 100%. 100% remember watching it that night. Who did you watch it with? Oh, my dad. Yeah. His with... living room with my old man. And were you just out of control? Were you a guy that would, like, scream at the TV and jump up and down? No, not at that age. I mean, I remember watching it, but by the time 87 came around, um, call it eighth or ninth grade, Yeah. Uh, super fan at this point in time. So I've got, you know, I, I could tell you a funny story if you want to hear one. That oh, yeah, me we and Mike. Me and my core group of buddies, all basketball junkies, you know, it's like six of us. And we've fallen in love with the NCAA tournament before, you know, it's, it's way different now than it was then. But we loved it. So we'd, we'd get we'd, uh, the see, selection Sunday. We'd go downtown by the boys club to uh, Pizza City and we'd sit there. We all had pieces of paper ready to write because the way they launched the brackets back then, they just did it in like 30 seconds. They just throw it up on the screen. There was no time. There was no ESPN doing a you know, an hour long show about it. So we're watching like the local news trying to write down the brackets. And then what we do is we'd auction off the teams. We'd start with an, okay, number one overall pick Georgetown and start the bidding at a dollar. And the funny part of the story is that every single year that we did this, we probably started this in 85. You know, I bought Indiana every time. Yes. <laughs> I want to say I bought them in 86 for like $18 that I didn't have. And the number one overall pick went for 350. So my buddies, these scumbags knew that I had to buy Indiana blindly. I would buy Indiana 
and you know when Richmond knocks them off in the first round. So like I had to pony up eighteen bucks, and they you know they lost in the first game, and uh, you know eighty seven. I came back and bought them again and won the whole pot. So yes, it's all good. Yes, that's great. Uh, when you uh, pass the eighty one team, and now you're getting, I would imagine you're starting to get more serious about basketball as you get into like ages twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Um, when did it click for you that, that you were, you had something here, that there was something better than just dicking around with the Nerf basketball hoop, but you could really play? You know, I don't know. I, I was, um, really young for my grade in school. So my first couple months on campus in Bloomington, I was 17. So I was, you know, at least a grade, I was a grade ahead of where I could have been, should have been. And when you look at people nowadays holding kids back and sending them to prep schools, I mean, I was a. I was a baby, you know, when I first got there. You, you got a birthday coming up, like, like Eric and I, right? We're all September Virgos. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, so we, you know, I was in my group of guys. Uh, we, we ended up going to a state finals as a, as a senior class, you know, before class basketball came. And when I say that, it's because we had a good group of guys. And these guys, a lot of them older than me, developed earlier than me. So, I mean, seventh grade, I'm turning 12 at the beginning of the school year. We had guys that were already, you know, shaving and, uh, you know, full-grown men. And yeah. so, I didn't, I mean, t- to be honest, I didn't really stand out that much. Like, I, I was somebody that really knew the game would look at me and say, and they've, they've told me this through the years, they could see, uh, you know, an IQ, uh, basketball IQ. They could see I had good touch, you know, pat, you know, feeding the post. Like, I was doing things, you know, better than most, but I didn't stand out for scoring or rebounding. I was a stick figure, you know, and all these other guys were big, strong guys. And, and so that seventh, eighth and ninth grade, you know, I didn't lead the team in scoring. This is Honey Creek junior high school. I mean, I, I didn't lead the team in scoring. I was a starter, but I was right there, you know, kind of the fourth or fifth guy uh, in terms of, you know, best players on the team. And so I wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like as a kid, I knew I was LeBron, you know, it wasn't right. like that at all. Now I will say this. I've had irrational confidence in myself for a really long time. <laughs> Coach used to call me, he used to call me out for it. He just like, you have the most inflated opinion of your athletic ability of anyone I've ever seen. Because I used to just believe I could do shit. You know, I thought yeah. I can do it. One time I got a, you'll remember Steve Hart. He was actually a high school teammate of mine who followed me to IU. Right. Really good athlete. And he was down and out. Coach had been on him constantly, and he was struggling. And Steve goes, you know, some balls flying out of bounds. Steve runs, jumps off one foot, flies, you know, 15 feet in the air, catches it, throws it over his shoulder, saves, saves the ball. We go down and score. And he stops to play. And, and what he's really doing is trying to hoist Steve Hart up and make him feel good. You know, this guy needed a pat on the back. And Coach was great at, you know, he could see these situations. He knew. And he's like, Steve. That was just the greatest play. I mean, what intuition. You looked ahead. You saw ahead. You made the play. It's such an athletic play. And then he turns to me and he goes, Brian, could you have made that play? <laughs> and I said, yep. <laughs> and, he, and then he just would rail me to death. Like, you have the most inflated opinion of who you are as a player. And there's some truth to it. And, it was, and really, when I say that, I just – I always wanted to be really good. I – envisioned myself getting really good i thought i gotta be like six eight six nine i was a huge bird fan so i'm like if i could just grow to six eight or six nine i'm gonna make sure that i'm really good i'm just how, gonna get there how big were your parents 
Uh, my dad was six four ish, maybe a little smidge taller. My mom was like five eight, five nine. So you just willed yourself to height. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I really should have done that. That'd have been helpful. Um, Brian, oh, it's, it's a good transition to make. Uh, you grew. You were born in seventy three. We're not too far apart. I was seventy seven. And I'm sure, like you, the Indiana fandom when you're growing up in that era is just totally tied to Bob Knight. Bob Knight was Indiana basketball. What was your, growing up as a kid, what was your image of Knight? How did you look up to him? Were you scared of him? Were you intimidated by him? Did you revere him? What was your Bob Knight kind of uh, mind's eye thought of him? Yeah, so that was the, the, the second time I went to his camp. The summer of '84, and he had Jordan and, and the Olympic team practicing in in, in Bloomington. And so after the day of camp was over, we'd go to dinner, go get. Shot. Instead of they, they typically put a on like a basketball film of sort, but that week of camp, instead we'd walk back to Assembly Hall and Olympic team practice at night, which is just unbelievable, right? So you're seeing Jordan before there was Air Jordans, Barkley, and all these. I think we were there during the tryout, actually. And it was just fascinating. But the thing about Coach was I don't think I'd ever seen anybody in person that I'd seen on TV. And he was really that first guy, you know. So when he'd walk in and talk to the it was just, I mean, the guy was like a rock star. And you knew he was intense. And you knew that he was, was explosive and angry at times. I mean, the guy just commanded a room like I can't believe. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody command a room like he does it doesn't matter if it's in a restaurant he walks in there's something about his presence that is just really strong if that makes any sense like anytime he's around you're like oh shit he's here yeah absolutely uh what was your experience at the camps did you have a good experience there i just remember being really hard you know it's middle of summer i'd never really worked i mean i just played in a you know basketball league at the boys club and you play, you know, once a week for eight weeks during the wintertime, and then it's over, you know, one practice a week. And to go to his camp for five days of, you know, sun up till sundown basketball and a lot of calisthenics. I mean, I remember the leg lifts, like the stretching at the beginning of the day just about buried me. You know, I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't strong. Yeah. Just, just doing like toe calf raises and leg lifts. I was like, this camp is too hard. So, but it was intense, and there was a ton of drills, and I was felt really privileged to get to go. My folks didn't make a lot of money, and really, you know, for them to send me to the camp was a big deal. And so I was convinced, you know, I'd never go back. I was like, shoot, I can't, you know, next summer they're probably going to send my sister to camp. You know, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta steal the drills. So I was taking notes and, and literally stealing the drills for everything that we did at all these all the stations that you'd move to, and I just wrote it all down. I, I took it home and and then tried to continue the camp from my house. And at this point, are you starting to imagine yourself playing for Coach Knight? And I use this becoming a goal, or is this just to make you better when you go home for the next season? No, I I, I mean, admittedly, like I I wasn't dreaming that. I wasn't dreaming that big at that time. I mean, I I would have probably, if you'd asked me at that age. Hey, if you could pick what school you want to go to, I'd just say real quick, IU, you know, before I knew much about Carolina or Duke or anywhere else. I mean, automatically that would have been my first choice. And I didn't, I wasn't so intimidated by him. I mean, there was an allure to that, you know, seeing him walk in and, and watching him coach the team, just like you, I grew up 
I wanted to wear candy stripes. I didn't really, I knew he was a great coach. It didn't factor in that he used to yell and scream. I, I just thought, well, I mean, all these other guys are there. Isaiah's there. Whitman's there. I mean, Steve Alford didn't die. He survived it, so it can't <laughs> be that hard. So I just, I never really thought about, you know, would it be hard to play for him? I just knew if I ever got good enough, that's where I'd want to go. So before we get to how you did arrive at Indiana as a player, you're, uh, at the end of your high school career, you played on an AAU team with another Hoosier legend who was ended up being in the same recruiting class as you. Yep. Uh, talk to us about Alan Henderson. What was it like playing with him? Well, I first started playing. So we, my Terre Haute AAU team played against his Indianapolis AAU team when we were probably 12 or 13, and Alan was already like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. We were all 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and he was – and he was just looked like a, an ostrich. He was so long, so skinny. He just, you know, in his, he stood out on his team by a foot and a half. You know, he was just, he was massive. And he had pretty good skills back then. So I'd, I'd known his name way, way before he ever knew mine. That's for sure. <laughs> and then uh, I got lucky, though. I mean, I, I mean, really, in my recruitment, Alan actually played a big role, you know, because what happened was um, we practiced against his team and scrimmaged against them a handful of times. And the director of that, uh, that team was called Municipal Gardens. Um, and that was the big name, you know, Eric Montross and Damon Bailey had played for that team. Jay Edwards, Lyndon Jones had played for Municipal Gardens and it was like the name, right? Um, I don't remember the name of my team. It was just like the team from Terre Haute was, our, was our, <laughs> who we were. But we've scrimmaged them a few times and, and this iconic, you know, Indiana legend who's in the Hall of Fame in, in the state of Indiana, his name is Red Taylor. And Red Taylor approached my father and said, "Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to have Brian on our team," um, which was a, I mean, that was a big deal. See, like mm-hmm. I told you, even though I wasn't, you know, maybe the best player on my team, I was showing signs, you know, to people that really knew the game. He picked me out and said, "That's the guy that I like." So I started the next year. I went and played for Municipal Gardens. Big commitment for my folks. You know, it's about a seventy to eighty mile drive back and forth from Terre Haute to Indianapolis for me to play on Municipal Gardens, and. You know, fast forward two or three years, now we're 16, 17. Um, I could play, okay, I hope this makes sense. So Al and I are in the same graduating class, but I could play AAU a year younger than him mm, your because age. of my age. Right. So I always played on Municipal Gardens, you know, team a year behind Alan's team, and we used to scrimmage against that team, and, and, and now I'm getting better. And at this point in time, I want to say my 15 or 16-year-old year, um, they, they invited me to, to travel with them to the national tournament. So um, Municipal Gardens, Allen's team, wins a state championship, and now you can add one more roster spot to go to the nationals. They didn't pick anybody else from that age group. They picked me to go with them, um, which is really cool. And you think yeah. about all the guys their age, and there's a lot of talent that went on to play college hoops, but they, you know, they kept it in-house and they invited me. I, start, <clears throat> excuse me, I started for the team. Um, but I got a, I mean, really, I got a ton of exposure because of Allen, uh, not because of me. So, I mean, Allen was a top five high school player in the country, top 10 for sure. Uh, and knew everyone knew as a sophomore, he was going to have his pick of wherever he wanted to play. I mean, he was that good. And, um, I was on his team. So, you know, you had all the, he was pulling this, you know, all the, the scouts from all the different colleges were there to watch Allen. And, you know, I got a, I got to play in front of him because of Allen and, and, it, and honestly, it's why Ron Felling, an assistant coach from IU, 
uh, why he kind of quote unquote found me. He watched Allen play a lot of games. They knew they wanted him. You know, coaches' marching orders to our staff, to the IU staff was, if Allen Henderson laces up his shoes, one of you, you know what's, will be there. Uh, <laughs> and, it's, and it was true. I mean, every time we took the floor, it didn't matter if it was Jonesboro, Arkansas, or, um, you know, where the heck did we go in Tennessee? I mean, just all over the place, they were always there. So they, they, were, they were watching me for a couple of years before, you know, they ever tried to recruit me. And, I mean, you guys want to hear a funny recruiting story? I'll yes. tell you. Let's yes, hear it. Yes, please. All right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm being recruited by um, Ball State, Butler, before it was Butler, Western Illinois, Indiana State, um, Evansville. Those are the schools recruiting me for, you know, my sophomore, junior year. Um, no Indiana. And going into the summer of my senior, I'm sorry, going into my senior year, I had a good summer playing with Allen, getting some exposure. Wake Forest became real active and coming to see me in Terre Haute, and so did the University of Florida. And so uh, I was just going to, I have a sister a year older than me that was playing hoops at Duke. So she graduated in 1990 and, and played basketball at Duke and um, had just been through the recruiting process, you know, the, the previous fall and she had really good options and it was Duke, Notre Dame, IU, Purdue, and Vanderbilt were her schools that she chose from. And she picked Duke. Um, I would have probably gone to Wake Forest because it was, you know, in my opinion, the best conference I could have played in. And my sister would have been an hour and a half away. Um, <clears throat> so then school season starts. It's, it's this time of year. Um, and Ron Felling just keeps calling my high school coach saying, trying to get the old, you know, I'm trying to get coach to come check him out. I can't get him to commit. He won't commit. I keep telling him this kid can shoot. He can play. And he just keeps saying he's too slow. Can't do this. Can't do that. And although he'd never seen me. Um, <laughs> so he wanted, you'll remember the name Junior Burrow, Tom yeah. Kleinschmidt. There was like a laundry list of guys that were all American, you know, McDonald's all Americans. I was, I was not, but these guys started committing to different schools. So, all these people that, you know, our staff had actively gone after start committing elsewhere. And it's like, you know, Felling's, you know, trying harder going, I'm telling you, I got this kid ranked higher than all those guys. He's a sleeper and comes to him. And finally, coach, he, he caves in. So Felling calls my high school coach and says, hey, Coach Knight will be there tomorrow in the afternoon to, you know, watch some pickup basketball. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. And I, at the time, I just thought, you know what? I didn't think I'd end up, I didn't think he'd want me or anything like that. I just thought, shoot, I got good enough at this game that that dude came to my high school. That was, that was almost cool enough. Like yeah. I was just thought that was awesome. So were you scared at all? Comes, I know you were filled with confidence, but were you scared at all when you heard that <laughs> butterflies? No I, don't, I don't, no, I don't think at all. I mean, I, you know, at that age, you think you're a hot shot. I mean, I, right. I know I wasn't scared. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, I tell a few of my buddies, hey, Coach, you know, Bob Knight's coming here tomorrow, and they're like, no way. Our, most of our good players played football. So it's a really a ragtag group of guys, you know, hanging around that are going to, you know, most of them are going to try out for the team. There's going to be guys that make it and guys that don't make it, but our, our core group of guys played football. So um, he comes in the gym, and I'm standing there, and he, he, he goes and sits down underneath the basket, and he, sa he calls me over, didn't shake my hand, and just said, hey, I want you to go over there in this basket by yourself and just shoot and rebound for yourself for a few minutes. 
So I go over there and do that, and I'm dialed, by the way. I mean, you know this, Eric. I'm yes. dialed in. <laughs> yes. I'm not missing. <laughs> I am not missing any shots at all. Wait, Brian, so, real quick, real quick. Is this yeah. the first time you've ever met him personally? Yes. The first time you've ever met Coach Knight, he comes yeah. to your gym and just says, go shoot over there and rebound for yourself. No well, he doesn't enter. Hey, let's be real clear. He doesn't enter. He doesn't have to introduce himself in Indiana. <laughs> right, he right, say, right, right. Hey, I'm Coach Knight. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Coach Krzyzewski, he might do that because, you know, he's a different kind of gentleman. But this guy did not introduce himself <laughs> back in the day. Just okay. comes in and starts bossing you around. Just says, go over there and shoot, rebound for yourself. And so I'm, you know, I'm going to get the rebound, kind of spinning the ball out, if you can picture that. Yeah. Catch, turn, shoot. And um, eight, five minutes, he calls me back over and says, put together a little three-on-three game. And I it's okay. And I, that's all he said. I'm not going to leave out any, any of his words, okay? I'm okay. going to tell you everything he said to me. <laughs> and he says, so I put together a little three-on-three game, try to pick the best five guys. And I, if you could have seen these – I mean, I'd like to have a word with these guys. If you could have seen <laughs> these losers d me up. Like, I'm trying to go to IU, and I've got these guys – that didn't even make the team just d and me up. I mean, it was like Bruce Bowen. I mean, these guys were elite defenders. And um, we did that for like five minutes. And then he says, um, okay, put together a five-on-five game, and I did that. Uh, and, and he probably sat there for a total of 30 minutes, maximum, maximum. And then he says, uh, my high school coach calls me over, and, and coach wants to, Coach Knight wants to go talk to me in his office. So I would have to admit that I maybe got a little nervous at this point. <laughs> yes, time. yes. So we walk into my coach's office. We sit down. It's me behind the desk and, and him in a chair in front of the desk. And door's shut, and it's just he and I. And this is all that he said. He said, um, now I understand from Coach Rady that you've got a, a visit scheduled to the University of Florida. I said, yes, sir. And he said, huh. Florida. Now I knew they had I knew they had a football team, but I wasn't aware that they played basketball there. And I did not laugh. Right, right. Because I didn't know I, I was allowed to, so I didn't. And then he says, and Coach Rady says that you've got a trip scheduled to Wake Forest. Is that is that right? And I said, Yes, sir. And he goes, Huh. I knew they had a golf team. <laughs> You know, same comment. And I don't, I didn't laugh. And then he's, you know, that's all he said. And then he says, Hey, do you have plans this weekend? Would you and your father like to come over for a football game? And I said, Yes, sir. That'd be great. And he goes, Okay, we'll see you this Saturday. So that's it. He leaves. Um, that Saturday, my dad and I go over and they tell us to come to Assembly Hall. We walk in. Doc, Dan Dockich is waiting on us, takes us down to the locker room immediately. No, no chit chat down in the locker room. <laughs> Let's us in the locker room and then leaves. It says, Coach will be in in a minute to see you guys. And now my dad and I, who, you know, he's a big fan, and he's really the one that, you know, opened my eyes to IU Hoops. We're in the locker room, and we're looking at, you know, the numbers and the names in every locker. You know, I, oh, God, there's Isaiah Thomas's locker. He's over there. Hey, there's, look, it's Quinn Buckner's locker. I mean, that's what we're doing right. in the locker room. And all of a sudden, door opens, and, there's, and he walks in, and there's two chairs, like little folding chairs side by side, sitting straight across from one chair and he says hi to my dad says keith good to meet you and says why don't you boys sit down so we sit down and our knees are like touching his if you can picture (laughs) that so my dad and i are shoulder to shoulder i mean they staged this right i mean this is what he set up across from him and his knees are touching ours and and this is all he said he said you know 
I don't know why Brian Evans would want to play anywhere other than Indiana University. What do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) And I just kind of nodded my head. I didn't say anything. I just nodded my head. He goes, Indiana University doesn't want Brian Evans playing anywhere but right here. Mm. What do you think about that? (laughs) And I go, I nod my head. And he says, now you need to understand something. You come and play for me, it's going to be the hardest goddamn thing you ever do in your entire effing life. Do you understand that? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, go enjoy the football game. And that's it? That's it. <laughs> so we, me and my dad go to the football game, and we're sitting there for like a half. Nobody spoke. I haven't said a word. He hasn't said a word. And he says, hey, you want to get out of here? I said, yes, go. We go get in the car. Now, keep in mind, my sister had just been recruited, you know, and gone through the whole home visits, campus visits, five schools. She, she maxed it out and, and, and looked hard at those schools. So my dad and I are in the car. We're about halfway home in, in Spencer, Indiana. And he says, was that a verbal commitment? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, I don't know. <laughs> So we get home, and I call my, my best buddy uh, down to the house, and he and I are out on the driveway shooting hoops. And I said, and he's a big IU fan. I said, you're not going to believe this. I think I may have just verbally committed to play for IU. <laughs> and he's like, that's a bunch of bullshit. You know, like right away, he's like, there's no way that happened. And, uh, and I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I truly, guys, I wasn't sure. And so – we go to, I go back to school on Monday and I don't, you know, I just go back to school and um, like, I want to say fifth or sixth period, my high school coach is knocking on the door and he's, I mean, the guy's damn near jumping up and down uh, in the hallway. So I, they let me out to talk to him and he's, he's just giddy. And he goes, why didn't you tell me you're going to play at IU? Why didn't you tell me? I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, Ron Felling called and just explained the paperwork process for your national letter of intent when they're going to set, you know, they're going to FedEx it and here's what you're going to do. And, and that was honestly the first time I knew I was going to go there. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> incredible. Oh, well. Uh, Isn't that crazy? But there was no. Um, there's no press conference? There was no. <laughs> no. This is crazy. No, there's no. Um, there was no campus visit. I mean, they didn't introduce me to the academic counseling staff. They didn't show me around. They didn't take me on a tour of campus. They didn't invite me for a weekend. Even though I'd committed, they still with other players might say, Hey, come and do an official visit, you know, spend the yeah. night with, you know, the guy on the team and we'll take you to dinner. They didn't, they didn't invite me for anything. I never, I never got invited. I started to think midway through my senior year that I wasn't going. <laughs> they, they never, they never talked to me. Uh, Coach Knight, he never called my house. My mom never met him. Um, nothing. Wow. Now when, when were you tempted when, when you were invited by him, to go to the football game, were you tempted to go, huh? I knew Indiana University played basketball. <laughs> you know what? See, that's where you're good. That's where you're good. I, I was I was a stiff. I was probably that, that just proves it. I was nervous because that would have been a great line. Yeah. Great line. He probably would have respected it. He probably would have liked it. I never yes, would I never would have thought of it in the moment. No. All right. So now your senior year ends. You're going to Indiana University, and let's just set the stage here for a minute on the team that you are going to. You are going to one of the most talented teams in the history of Indiana University. 
the recruiting class that they had put together a few years before year with Cheney and Graham, both Grahams, and Reynolds. And I mean, the list goes on and on. And then it's followed with, you know, we've got Damon Bailey coming in. And, and obviously, Alan Henderson is in your class. This is a loaded team. You're brimming with confidence. But when you arrive at campus and you see this collection of talent, where do you think you fit in in this group? You know, I, I knew I had a lot of work to do. You know, I, there was no I, – I was I, when I say I was confident, um, <clears throat> I was confident. But this is a different level, right? I mean, these are grown men. You forgot Eric Anderson, oh, who was a yes. Big Ten freshman of the year, who's a senior. I mean, plays kind of at my position. I wasn't going in there thinking I'm, I'm going to go in here and light the world on fire at all. I mean, I knew, I knew that my work was totally cut out. You know, it only took a few scrimmages, you know, this first couple weeks of school for me to go, oh, boy. I'm not even, you know, I'm trying to not be the worst guy in the gym. And, and I wasn't, uh, but because that Pat Knight helped me with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was close. Right. <laughs> now, he's my friend. I mean, if he sure. heard that, he would, he'd probably send me a zinger. But no, right. I mean, the truth is I was, I was a, <laughs> a far cry from, uh, gonna, you know, earning minutes or anything like that. I mean, I remember going up and down and just having – athletically having trouble keeping up with the pack. I mean, I know that sounds kind of silly, but guys were just so much more athletic than me. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm sure I came at the end of a, the summer. I'm sure I wasn't in good shape. And, you know, I, I just remember thinking, whoa, man, these guys are good. Didn't, when, didn't you have to guard Calvert a lot right away? I always had to guard Calvert. I mean, it was, that was bullshit when you think back <laughs> on it. I mean, just because I'm like a similar height and similar position. I mean, I had to guard this guy every day and every scrimmage. And and by then, this was the beginning of his junior year. I mean, there's thousands of screens being set for this guy. And I had to run into all of them. Oh. And um, But it was – I say that it was invaluable for me because I, I got to see it through, you know, the eyes of his defender, you know, and, and playing through the motion offense that was – absolutely geared towards getting him open. Um, I knew I didn't have his athleticism. I was never going to have it. It's never going to have the first step that he had. And so, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I feel like if I did anything well, it was, I had a pretty good idea really what I had and what I didn't have. <clears throat> and guarding him every day was very helpful because I, I felt like I kind of mastered the art of getting open by the time I was in my fourth and fifth year. Um, but so much of that training ground came from guarding him and, and, being the guy getting screened every day. So let's talk about the red shirt. When mm -hmm. did the conversation about the red shirt first happen? And when it happened, were you upset, disappointed, or in some ways relieved? Like, what, what was that all like? All right. So <laughs> another really short conversation with my dear coach. <laughs> I think he only said like three words in this conversation. But, you uh, will red shirt. <laughs> It's pretty close. Yeah. It's pretty close. But it's, it's, it's a little goofier than that, too. So, um, it you know, I was going, oh, boy, you know, my, I'm not going to play, right? I still believed I could become a good player and have a good career. But, I'm you know, I knew I wasn't uh, going to be needed so much on that team. You know, I just – we're all of a sudden it's November. We're practicing, and I'm, I'm not on the second unit. Uh, maybe on the third unit, you know what I mean? So it's – you knew exactly where you stood with coach at all times. And – but I was getting better. Like, I, I mean, just in that first month of practice, I was, 
you know, I was closing the gap on Calvert, and that's supposed to be funny, but, <laughs> but it was such a big gap. It was such a big gap, but I was getting better, you know, and I knew it, and I was. Uh, he, he had to find me in transition, you know. One thing I could always do was was make shots, and um, and so you know, in the course of scrimmage games and whatnot, I'd get open, I'd make shots. I mean, you know, Calvert's getting yelled at for losing me in transition. Felt good, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we go, so we, we let off that season. We were ranked number one, and we played uh, number two UCLA at the in Springfield at the Hall of Fame Classic. Right. And it was the first game of the year, and we got run out of the gym. Um, <clears throat> we ended up beating them that year in the NCAA tournament, got a little revenge, but they beat in us. The in the Elite Eight the to, to get to the Final Four. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So the, the O'Bannon so boys, a, right? Yeah, they had a good team. They had a really good team, but they beat us bad. So the night before the game, uh, we're in the hotel, and – Tim Garl, our trainer, calls me and says, Coach would like to see you in his room. And, you know, that this was my first ever road trip, so I'm like, why am I getting called into his room? <laughs> so I go into his, I go up to his room, and I'm, okay, now fast forward. I'm here. I'm nervous now, okay? So I wasn't nervous in high school when I hadn't committed to play for him, but now I'm nervous. I'm like, why am I going to his, his hotel room? And Coach is getting in bed, if you can believe this. Like, he's tucking himself into bed <laughs> and tells me to pull up a chair next to the bed. So I pull up a chair and I sit down. It's, it's really awkward, like I was going to read him a, a story or something. <laughs> and he says, hey, I've been thinking, you know, uh, about redshirting you. You know, how would you feel about that? And I kind of I quickly said, I, you know, I'd love that. And he goes, you've got a, you know, you're doing a good job. You got a lot of, a lot of play, a lot of uh, room for improvement. And I like everything that I've seen. I think it's a good, good idea for you to redshirt if you want to do it. It's your choice. And I said, I want to do it. He goes, okay, have a good night. And that was it. <laughs> Did you give him a little kiss on the forehead before you left? <laughs> <laughs> Get him a cup of warm milk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's it. Wow. And then from a wait, wait, and then like did it take like four days later and your high school coach said, Okay, that's it. You're, you're redshirting. That's <laughs> official. Well, you know what's funny is that we had never lost a game and never played a game. And then when I saw what it was like to lose a game by thirty, I started thinking, Oh shit, I'm gonna be here for five years. <laughs> Uh, what was that year like for you, knowing that no matter how much you improved, obviously, you couldn't play? Well, and, and, and give us a little background. Are you doing everything else the rest of the team's doing, just not playing games? Yes. Yes, correct. So you do everything. What we did do, so Pat Knight and Pat Graham both redshirted, one for injury, Yep. Um, the same year. So we had three guys, you know, in that 6'5", 6'6", 6'8", range, Um and so it was kind of unique. Sometimes there'd be one red shirt, you know, on a team and some years none, but we had three. And so what they did sometimes on like these nine o'clock games, like a, just a Iowa and back, you know, that type of game that we'd have to miss school for coach would just say, Hey, leave our grad assistant back at home. And just to put us through a grueling workout, instead of letting us be on the gravy train flying around uh. and, you know, eating meals and getting fat, he just was like, Hey, let's, Let's leave the red shirts at home. They can go to class, and then we'll just put them through really difficult workouts. So we didn't go to every game, but most games. So, Brian, you're from Terre Haute. You're at Indiana University. You're a red shirt freshman, so you have to do all the workouts, like you just said, but you don't have the pressure of having to win and it being on you. And you're at Indiana University, just one of the most beautiful campuses 
in the country. With some of the most beautiful ladies. And that's, what is it like being a freshman basketball player at Indiana during that time? I mean, you had a healthy ego going into it. What was that freshman year like? I mean, we were just tired. I mean, it was, I mean, I would like to give you some, you know, sexier answer than that, but we were so tired. Like I could, my body could not believe what it was going through. It was just shock. And practices were so hard that, you know, there's times we sat in the locker room as the number one team in the country. And, you know, Alan and me and a couple of the other young guys just didn't even think we could get up those steps to get out to our cars. I mean, just, just like, I might have to stay here tonight in the locker room. <laughs> just so tired that, you know, the extracurricular life just didn't even factor in, you know, we knew we couldn't go to the bars. Right. We knew we couldn't go out and party. Uh, I wasn't in any of that at the time. I, I learned as I went, by the way. Yes. <laughs> um, but I wasn't, that, that's it's just not where your head's at. I mean, this guy's putting so much pressure on you. Uh, it was so intense. The practices, you know, were you're you're in the building from probably three to seven o'clock every night, and then you're just hustling for a bite to eat and you know trying to get back to the dorm room. To be honest with you, um, and because I was redshirted and my name maybe was a little bit known, you know, I, I, I didn't really stand out on campus. I mean, they're not nobody's throwing parades for the redshirts. Right. What uh, what uh, dorm were you in? I lived in Reed Hall with Alan. Alan and I lived together um, our first year. So we have not had the pleasure of talking to Alan on this podcast, and we hope to uh, soon. Give us a little of what Alan was like behind the scenes. He seems like a serious dude. You know, he's, yeah, he's, he, which I could see how he'd come across that way. He's really more of a playful kid. I mean, he's just into the video games when we were freshmen, and he was all into the Tecmo Bowl and wasn't really my deal, but – you know, he was, you know, he and some of his buddies, he joined a fraternity, um, second semester of our freshman year, Kappa Alpha Psi. Um, and so then he had that commitment, which really was, it was a significant commitment. Right. I don't think he knew how serious it was when he started doing it, but that, that, uh, final four run, I mean, Alan was, he was gone a lot, like between basketball and the, and the fraternity deal, I didn't see a lot of them that second semester, which was fine. You know, you know how small those rooms are. Sure. When he wasn't there, I was cool with it. So he went through that. But no, Alan's a great guy, and I will connect you guys with him. And great. Um, I, matter of fact, we were exchanging some texts last night. He, uh, our son, we've got both have second grade boys that played on the same uh, hoops team last winter, and they're not going to play on the same team this winter. But you know, I, I saw him a ton. You know, last winter we sit and chit chat all the time. He's a great dude. He lives you know three or four miles from my house and. And he'd be great on the on the podcast. You guys would enjoy him for sure. And he's he he could come across as serious, but he's really not. He's a playful guy. And he's a really good guy. You're both there, like on the north side of Indy somewhere. Yes, yeah, in Carmel. Awesome. So Brian, uh, we talked about some of your interaction with Coach Knight both before you got there and then the redshirt conversation. Do you remember a moment in your freshman year, in your redshirt year, when you? Just the wrath or the rage or the the insanity of Coach Knight in all of its glory really hit home to you. Does does a does is there one story that might stick out to well, you? Well, you know he. Let me say. I mean, there's you see it every day. I mean, you see it every single day, and it's it's not necessarily geared at me, but you know it's coming. You know, I mean, you know this. You know, next stop, Brian Evans. You know it's coming. Right, and so it's you know you, it's it's none of it's funny. You're not laughing that somebody else is getting taken to the cleaners. I mean, it's 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 coming around, and I remember 
thinking, oh shit, he, you know, he doesn't care that I'm a red shirt. Like he didn't, you know, he didn't lay off of me because I was not playing in the games. I mean, it, I, I, if anything, I feel like it was the opposite because I think he saw something in me. You know, I was, I was improving. And I think he was like, you know, Hey, I didn't even want this guy. And I think, I think he could be good. So he, I mean, he was laying it on me and keep in mind, we were winning historically, you know, we won 17, you know, conference games in a row. He can only get on the other guys so much, you know, when you're winning every game, you know, what was he going to do? Yell at Calvert about what, you know, the way (laughs) his shoes untied. I mean, what is he going to say to him? So the guys on the team were like, Holy shit, they feel bad for me. They're like, this guy's killing this. Dude. He's killing me. So I feel like I was his primary target for the whole time I was there because we were so good that first year. And then that second year, the same thing. Now, Calvert and all these guys are saying, I'm not going to jump ahead. But yeah. I mean, I, I really do feel like I got both barrels. And it was great, though. Like it, it, it worked on me. You know, I respected him so much. He was a basketball genius. I was trying my best. I was not resistant to you know, his methods, like when he'd get on me, I'd try to play harder. You know, I didn't hang my head. I didn't, you know, think, why is he picking on me? I just, I wanted him to get off me. You know I mean? I wanted him to leave me alone, but I wanted to correct what, you know, whatever I was doing wrong. You gotta understand this guy didn't just, he didn't pick on people. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, he, he was like, I'm just going to give this kid a hard time. And if he saw me doing things wrong, he never took the day off. He was on my case the whole time, uh, which is, you know, if you're mature about it, you're thankful for it. Right. And I was. So um, we've asked this to, I think, almost everybody that had interaction with Coach Knight. Everybody calls him a basketball genius. That We know that. He was. But if you could try to, like, with perspective now looking back on it, distill down, what was it about him that made him a genius? What what If you could point to, like, one thing that stood out above everything else – is there one that you can point to and say, this is what really separated him? Uh, you know, it, I know other co- coaches work really hard. So it's, it's this, I, I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. But then I also know, I don't mean to slight anybody else. I think it's preparation and just like his preparation, his, de- his desire to prepare for a battle, just, just outweighed anybody else's. Like he just, you had, I mean, I had the feeling during the season, I know this wasn't the case, but I remember being there, you know, whether I was 18, 19, 20 year old kid going, this dude does not go to sleep at night. <laughs> when I go to sleep, he's watching film of us or whoever we're going to play next. He does not rest. And just thinking, just, I mean, I, mean, I really believe that. I mean, I mean, we had conversations in the locker room, teammates going, do you think he sleeps? I, I don't think he sleeps. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty cool. You know, yeah. the work, you know, you could say preparation, you could call it work ethic, but he had it. And now you're in your freshman year where you are playing and you are on a loaded team that just made the final four and expectations are through the freaking roof. This really is a season which is always a weird kind of pressure, but it is a season where anything shy of a national championship for the fan base feels like a failure. Which right. is a difficult place to be. Did you feel that coming into that year? Did the players feel that? And did coach put any? How did coach kind of set up that year? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're right, and it it did feel that way. And I mean, here it's going to be my first exposure to playing. So I, mean, I had to keep that in perspective, right? Like I've never, I've never grabbed the rebound at Indiana. I've never scored a bucket, and yet we're we're trying to win a title. 
I looked around the room. There's a couple things that happened. We, first, we have a team meeting. He comes back in town. Again, this time of year, he'd be gone. He'd come back into town right before a conditioning program would start. And he'd, you know, we'd talk about, hey, what are the goals? What is it? What is this team's goals? You know, and I admittedly, my last couple of years, we weren't dreaming about national championships, which, you know, <laughs> right. it, it doesn't make him a happy camper. But we would have been silly to pretend that we were going to play for a title my last couple of years. But in this that that season, it was, what are we going to do, boys? What I'm going to leave the room. You guys are going to talk. I'm going to come back in. You're going to tell me what the plan is. And I want to know. And it's, you know, we were going to win the preseason NIT. We played in that that year in New York City. We, we're going to win the NIT. We're going to win the conference. And we're going to win the national championship. Wow. He goes, okay. Okay. Now you you better understand, you know, what that's going to take, you know, the amount of work, how hard it's going to be, what I'm going to put you through. If, if that's what we want to do, then that's what we'll set out to do. So that that's the meeting. Now, what I'm doing is I'm admittedly, you know, this is my team and I'm a team guy and I want to be a part of it. And I, you know, I want to, I want to play. And I remember looking around that room and thinking, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ballers in this room. And, <laughs> but I do remember thinking, I mean, what do I have to do? You know, whose who's throat do I have to slash to get on the court? Because <laughs> I got to play. I want to play. And, and you know, so I had to compete, right? So you go to practice, and, and I knew, you know, Pat Graham. You know, I had a ton of respect for him. He's former Mr. Basketball. I looked up to him. And, you know, he was he was good to me as a, as a redshirt. You know, he took me under his wing a little bit during those workouts that we didn't go on the road trips. And he was good to me. I like these guys. And I thought, man, these are the guys that I have to – I got, I got to find a way to play in front of these guys, you know, and, you know, I, I know I'm not going to play in front of Calvert guys. I wasn't, I, I wasn't a lunatic. Okay. So I, <laughs> I was trying to find, I was trying to get on the court and play, right. And get some exposure and some experience, but and it was, it was, but that was the goal of that team. And it was a, there was a lot of talent. Uh, let's talk for a second about that preseason in it, because that year was the year that Pat, re-injured himself at the preseason NIT. Did you have something to do with that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's clever. No, he was breaking his foot on his own. Yes. Do you, um, we talked to Pat about this, which was a really emotional time for him, but he mm -hmm. talked about um, Calbert Chaney won the like MVP player of the tournament and right. then gave the trophy to Pat. Do you remember that at all? It's it, when you say it, uh, I do. I, I I wouldn't have remembered that, but it, I, I'm sure it happened. And that due to Cal Calvert's character and uh, who he was, and Pat was, you know, Pat was a really good player, and just and I and I hate that, you know, his career winded down without anybody really knowing that he was he was way way better uh, than he ever got to show because of that foot. Um, he was a he was tough man, and he was six five. But you know, country strong. Yeah. Knew how to get to the free throw line. Could could make people foul him. He was automatic from the foul line. Um, and he was a pretty tough player. I mean, he really was. He was a solid rebounder. Um, and he just that injury just kept coming back to haunt him. And he never really got out of it because that preseason he was. If he wasn't starting, it's because Calvert was the three and Damon was the two. You know what I mean? I mean, right. look who was on that team. Greg Graham was right there. I mean, these are all NBA kind of players. But Pat was going to play a big, big role on that team for sure, and it didn't happen. Uh, so I want to say that redshirt year again for me, 
Yes, he broke the foot. I want to say midway through that season, he was out of his boot, back on the court. I mean, he was trying to have a career, you know. It's right. He, probably pushing it a little too much because of the nature of that injury. They, You know, if they had a do-over, maybe they just really sat him out for a longer period of time. But he was he was constantly trying to get back on the court because he was, he was a competitor. So in looking at that year for you, again, like you said, you had never gotten a rebound, scored a point for Indiana before that season. You didn't play a ton in a lot of games at the beginning of the year. But then as the Big Ten season started around, and again, you're on the best team in the country – yeah. You play at, I, I saw a box score, you played at number two Michigan, which it's a fun time to look at Indiana-Michigan scores during the Fab Five era because you guys had their number. Owned them. And yeah. you play at Michigan, and you had a really good game in that game, and you end up winning that game on the road against Michigan, who's ranked number two in the country. You scored mm-hmm. six points in that game. You follow that up with a game at Purdue who's ranked 13th in the country, where you go for 9.6 rebounds. Are you starting to figure things out a little here uh, as that season starts to go on? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I I probably thought I should have been playing more in the in the beginning of the season. Right. Um, but I never, you know, never acted like I did. But I knew I could play on that team, you know. And, and the other cool thing about playing on that team is, you know, if I could just get on the court, I could make open shots because let's face it, they weren't worried about me, you right. know, and that's, that's part of the beauty of being the young unknown guy is, you know, uh, coach, coach pulled me aside one time and he goes, you're a smart kid. He goes, if you were really smart, you'd go set screens for Calvert. He goes, every time down the court, he goes, if I'm you, if I'm Brian Evans, I'm going to go screen for Calvert Chaney. And he goes, and do you know why that is? And I said, cause, cause my man and his men are both going to go with Calvert Chain. He goes, "You are a smart kid," <laughs> and it's true. I mean, I'd go sit. I'd, I'd go. So he's on the three point line. I'm on the block. I'd come out and set a back screen for Calvert. You know, he's as quick as the first step as it comes. He takes off. Well, his whoever he whoever's guarding him is trying to catch up to him, and whoever's guarding me is going. I got to help. And then I find myself standing there with the ball, and all I got to do is line it up and knock in a shot. So I got you know on that team. That was my job, and really what it was was to screen for Calvert and rebound the best I could, and I was a pretty good rebounder. And so, you know, I, next thing you know, I'm, you know, I'd get in these games, I'd get eight or nine rebounds and, you know, and look like a, a stud. When I really, you know, these are tiptoe rebounds, guys. I would just go after the ball. So, you know, there's enough shots being taken in the game. You didn't have to jump over the top of the rim or the backboard to get a rebound. I just, I just went after rebounds. Right. And is this something where you are looking at this collection of talent and you're stealing a little bit from this person's game and a little bit from that person's game? Is it that conscious of an effort to to improve yourself? I don't know about that. I, I just I know that Coach was so good about making it make sense to me. Like he like when he called me over and said that about Calvert. Right. He'd call me over and say, "Do you want to play against Illinois?" And I would say yes. He'd say. <laughs> Just re- he'd say, set screens for Calvert and rebound the basketball. And he would just, like, boil it down. Like, if you want to play on this team, here's what you got to do. And then I'd just go out and just try to rebound like a maniac. And, you know, I'd just – I'd run down – we'd run down the court because in our motion offense it was, you know, somebody's pushing the ball and you're going to – two guys are going to run down the right side, two guys are going to run down the left side, and it's going to be like a two-man game on, you know, on each side of the court. And, I mean, I, I lit- I'd scream. But I'm on, you know, I'm on the right side. Like I would try to go onto Calvert's side of the court and set screens for him. That's all I want. That's all I try to do. 
And I used to get wide open shots all the time. Well, you got a lot of them uh, as the season progresses. You play number four Michigan again, Fab Five. You go off for 17 points and you play 28 minutes in that game. You then play Purdue again where you go for 20 and seven. I mean, you are playing on the best team in the country and putting up huge numbers. You make, but then uh, tragedy hits the team when Allen Henderson gets hurt. Mm-hmm. What do you remember around that time when that happened? Well, I remember um, around that time some up and downs. And so when you, you talk about some of those highlight games, there was also a game in between it where, you know, we'd play Minnesota and, and I'd play four minutes and didn't score or coach. Um, and again, I, here's another area. He was a pretty, he was pretty uh, genius where he doesn't need the redshirt freshman to get a really big head, you know, so you can't have him thinking that, that he's the leading scorer on the team. So, Every so often we'd have a game that he'd I'd go in there for like a minute or so and he'd pull me out and he'd go, this isn't Michigan. This isn't last week. Wow. You know, thinking that I was stuck on myself or something, which I don't think I was. But let's, I mean, be honest, we had enough of a uh, lineup that I didn't have to score 15 points for us to win a game, right? right? It was a bonus. And then when I started having some career games, coach was pretty quick to try to take the air out of the balloon. Um and, and sit me down and whatnot. And then I'd be back in there. But, you know, he was also teaching me lessons along the way. When and, it comes and, to Allen's and, knee, I mean, that's just a, such a sad thing. And, you know, when you see somebody, just like Pat, when you see somebody else get hurt, you know, you, I didn't feel selfish like, oh, our team, our team is screwed. And, you know, Allen's the, you know, he'll be the top five all-time rebounder and our, our first all-time rebounder and top five score to ever play here. And we just lost him. Oh, my God, we're not going to win a title. The first thing you feel bad is for the, the player, you know, and you're just like, oh, shoot, he's going to, you know, an ACL, he's going to miss a year. I mean, that's terrible. You just feel bad for him. And then this was a, it was a dark day, though, guys. I mean, we were, we were running the table completely in the Big Ten. I think we all knew that the road just got uh, a lot more difficult. I mean, there, there was just no way around it. And, and part of it, I, I was going to kind of replace him on the lineup. Right. I'm, I'm a similar, it's it's funny. I'm a similar size, you know. He's about an inch taller than me. Um, and again, played together since we were 11, 12 years old. But there's such a big difference. And I was and I finished in the top 10 in rebounding at IU. I think I was the ninth leading or eighth leading rebounder when I left. There's a big difference between he and I as rebounders. I mean, it's just I could maybe average almost as many as him. But, man, his were different. You know, he, he could go get the ones, like I just told you, he could go get the ones up over the top of Weber and, and those guys. And he was just way more of a force inside where that was his spot. So losing him made us much, much smaller. Um, put pressure on Matt Nover and I. Put pressure on Calbert. Our front court just changed dramatically because Allen was, you know, as great as he was, I still kind of feel like he was underrated. He was, he was awesome. Totally, totally agree. And was there something Coach said or did with you guys in the immediate aftermath to to talk about how you were going to adjust going forward? You know, I, I remember looking back, I and mean, it was dark. I mean, I you know, at first you don't know if it's torn, and, and, and you know, the, certainly didn't feel good that day. And I think practice just ended. My coach was sick to his stomach. I mean, I just think that when he went down – they, they typically know, you know, Garl can go perform a test on the knee and they have a pretty good idea prior to getting any MRIs done. 
And I, I'm, I'm serious. I think, you know, I, I'd like to hear, you know, somebody else's recollection. I, I think they just kind of ended practice. Like it was just like, Oh God, hope this didn't just happen. Um, but it did. And, and you know what, we still had a pretty good chance to go win it. Um, but we, we ran into that Kansas team that was just abnormally long. It was Oster tag and Richard Scott and Eric Pauly. Like they were, uh, they were like seven foot one, six ten, six nine across the front line, and and they had good. Uh, they still had Rex Walters. They still had a good backcourt. They were just a really long team. And I, if we went and looked at that box score, I just I, I feel like that's where they beat us. It's also it's funny. There are teams that, you know, for any team, there seems to be like your nemesis. And for mm-hmm. that run of Indiana teams, Kansas certainly was the nemesis. It seemed yep, like they just, they got the better of Indiana on almost all of those matchups. They did. It was a weird – and Roy Williams, now you look back and you see that he's a you know dignified Hall of Famer and he's won all the titles too. He hadn't at that point in time, right. but he was good. I mean, he was a superstar in the making for sure, and, and definitely they had our number. Uh, I want to ask you about something with Coach Knight during these kind of tournament runs, especially this one and the year prior. Coach Knight became like almost a comic genius in the press conferences during the tournament runs both of these years. There was the infamous whip thing that happened with Cheney. There was the game face thing. But it just seemed like and, – and what we would hear as fans – from pundits who you know were trying to weigh in and sound smart is that coach Knight was taking the pressure off of his team he was putting it all on him all the attention was on him did any of that register for you guys when that was going on you know I don't think so I mean I think we probably if anything just thought hey he's in a decent mood you know I mean, right. and that might have been it like you know because we were he commanded the room, like I said, and when we'd get done with practices, it was always our team meeting. It's like, now we're going to go get on the bus, and then we're going to go shower up, and then we're going to go to dinner. And then when you get done with dinner, I'm, you guys are going to go into my room and watch video. I mean, it was just, you know, we were on we were on his watch. Um, there wasn't a lot of giggling. You know, we didn't do on our road trips. There wasn't, you know, you didn't go out and catch a baseball game. You, 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 we were in the room. And, you know, when we were telling we were serious about winning a title, there was just no – you know, fooling around. I mean, we just didn't, you know, and, and when we traveled, we were all wearing suits and ties and, you know, we'd get back to our uh, hotel and, and we weren't staying in fine hotels, gentlemen. We were, you know, <laughs> we're at the Holodome in Iowa City. I mean, we're not. So at least there was a pool indoors. Coach, and was, coach was frugal and, and he really believed, you know, he raised a lot of money for Indiana University and he didn't want us spending it, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah, he wanted um, to go into the library. Mm-hmm. I mean, he that's was, right. Yeah. No, no, you're exactly right. And so he, and that's, and that was authentic. I mean, he, he just, we didn't spend a lot of money on, on the road. And so, uh, but when we did get back to the hotel, so picture this: we'd, we'd get in our rooms and everybody changed into some, you know, practice shorts and a t-shirt. We'd get a phone call, you know, coach wants to see everybody up in his room. We'd have to put a suit and tie back on to walk out in the hallway <laughs> to get, I mean, to go get in the elevator, go up to his room, oh, and then man. we'd go back down to our rooms. We'd change back into our clothes. We'd get another call. Coach is watching. Basically, he's up there watching film. Anytime he sees something that disturbs him, he'd say get those guys back up here and we'd get called back up there. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, you could pass next you talk to Alan or, you know, the next guy you talk to, yeah. you ought to bring that up. How many times did we have to change back into our suits and ties on the road? Like, I mean, it's like a hundred times. I mean, we just back and forth in and out of his room all night long. 
you know, on the fifth time, we're like, hopefully that was the last one. Do you think that was the last one? I don't know. And it was, but because he wanted us to look professional right. on the road, there was an appearance, you know, appearance meant something to him. And, and he wasn't going to have us, you know, roam in the hallways in shorts and t-shirts. I, I think he eased off of that later, but when I was there, that, that's the way it was. Uh, Pat shared a story with us about Coach Knight, told us to ask you about it to see if you remember. Pat said that very early on for almost every player on the team, usually during the freshman year, Coach Knight would just kind of assign each player a team. And that team usually was a team you played in high school. So for Pat, it was Clarksville Providence. And so every time he would yell at Pat, it would be, hey, Clarksville Providence, or something like that. He said for you that he gave you a team that was very obscure. And you, do you remember this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he used to... Well, he had my, it's like he had memorized, this guy has, had a memory you just cannot believe. But he would always throw it at me, cause, and also because I wasn't a big recruit. You know, like Pat had Kentucky and other Big Ten schools. I mean, I, I didn't have any, you know, as you guys know. So he was always threatening to send me back to Terre Haute, you know, on a Greyhound bus uh, all the time. Uh, starting my redshirt year, and, but he would always pull out, you know, once I was playing, um, you know, we're not playing Shackamack on Saturday. Now, you may think we are, and it'd be, but he'd pull out Sullivan. We've had a school named Sullivan, Indiana. We had South Vermilion, Vermilion County team, and the South and North Vermilion, West Vigo. You know, Terre Haute's in Vigo County. There was West Vigo. I mean, he had them all. I, mean, he, I can think of him. He, I bet you through the course of my five years, he pulled out 10 different schools from my schedule and just, you know told me that's not who we're playing. <laughs> Pat, Pat said one time uh, that he yelled out a team to you, and when they got into the locker room, they asked you who that team was, and you told them, we played that team in junior high once. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't know where the hell he got that one from. I don't know. He knew Indiana. He knew the Indiana like the back of his hand, and that's, you know, it's exciting for me that he's, that he's going to come back here and, and spend time and live because yeah. this place is so important to him, and, like, like I said, he did so much hunting and fishing down the back roads of Indiana that he did know all the schools, and he did know all the junior high schools, at least where I'm from. He knew them all. Right. Now, you guys uh, have to say goodbye to one of the great classes in Indiana basketball history. Moving into the next year, you still have some pretty good guys hanging around. Damon Bailey, Pat Graham, of course, Todd Leary are your captains. We haven't got to talk much about Todd or Damon so far. Uh, what was it like? Let's say, let's start with Damon of the the greatest high school legend of our lifetimes in Indiana basketball. What was it like to actually just be friends and teammates with him? Um, you know, so I, you know, being a, a year behind him, uh, we, we were on the on each other's schedule. So I remember going as an eighth grader to watch them play or my high school play. <clears throat> his, and it was a home game for us, but the legend was already there, right? I mean, because the book had come out the year prior when he was an eighth grader. So by the time they came in, I, I remember me and my buddies, we were, you know, like I said, hoops junkies, and we'd go to the JV game, and, you know, we'd get there early. We had nothing else to do. And I just remember going to the Bedford versus Terre Haute South game at the normal time before the JV game started, and my, the gym at my high school was packed. Wow. And going, what's going on here? <laughs> and 
So his whole town just rolls in and, and shows up early and fills fills up our gym. Um, what is uh, the, the other part of the story is my team was ranked number one in the, in the state. <laughs> and you still weren't selling it out until Damon came. Correct. Right. And so they're up against the good thing. You know, our team was really good. Um, and I just remember him coming out and all of a sudden hearing like this loud roar. Uh, it was a halftime of the JV game and Damon had come out, uh, grabbed the ball off the ball rack and came onto the court and the place erupted. Like, you know, the Beatles had just taken stage. <laughs> yeah. And, but the craziest thing was that Damon stood underneath the basket and, and just in a sweat. And he was wearing the candy stripes. They had, they stole that from IU, which was crap. <laughs> uh, his team wore candy stripe pants and he jumps up and dunks it behind his head, like a reverse dunk, just from vertical. Um, and the place went nuts. And I was, and me and my buddies were looking at each other going, are you kidding me? Cause we were, you know, in eighth grade, I, I was all right. I wasn't that good. Yeah. But to see him do that, and then he came out and just dropped a cool 30, 32 points, th- something like that, you know, and, and passed. The, it was just by far the best player on the court. And he was. I mean, as a freshman, he was – and we were we had a, a really good team. He was by far – with Division One guys on our team, and he was he was the best player on the court. Um, and so that's, that's the first time I saw him in person. Now, uh, the next year we played him. And I think we beat them at their place. I mean, we, so every year we played against them, you know. So my my three years, so let's see, freshman, sophomore, junior, we played them, um, and he was great. I mean, he was a he was one of the greatest high school players. I, I mean, I, I just don't know how much better you could be. I mean, some of these guys that are high flying, like LeBron. I mean, I I guess, but Damon cerebral uh, that as he was was just so good at at getting thirty. Eight, eight, five steals, two blocks, and beating you. You know, <laughs> right? And that's what he did. And he was just the, the high school game. He just owned it. And um, you know, it wasn't the same in college. I mean, he still statistically, the guy had a really nice career at yeah. IU. Um, by the time he was a teammate of mine, I mean, Damon, I don't think he'd have a problem with me saying that he was uh, very much to himself, and you know, maybe a half a step or so removed from the team. Um, I don't know if Pat shared any of that, but, you know, Damon, he spent a lot of time in Bedford. I mean, his hometown was 20 minutes south of, of Bloomington. And, you know, I, I can't walk a mile in his shoes, right, because he came in as the as the savior and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as great a player as Calvert Chaney was, and, and we've covered that, he was the best player hands down in the country his senior year. And his junior year, he was right there. Right. You know, consensus college player of the year. And I'm not making this up, but it, we sat down to sign autographs like the week before the NCAA tournament. Um, and Damon's line would go around the assembly hall twice, and you could run up and get Calber's uh, autograph pretty easily. What, what, uh, what was and, your and line that like? That tells you something. What was the Brian Evans line like? Hey, that's not what this is about. I'm telling you. <laughs> Don't attack me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, does uh, that make sense though? I mean, the fan base, the fan base, like the the legend of Damon Bailey was alive and well, even when he was playing with the best player in the country. (laughs) If I, if I could just say, had that been me, I would have ran up to Calvert Chaney and just stayed there and just kept (laughs) peppering him with questions and asking for additional autographs until he asked me to move along. I'm sure I was sitting there just uh, talking smack with Pat Knight with nobody in our lives. Right. I'm sure that's what I was doing. Uh, talk a little bit about Leary. We we had a great conversation with him and just found him to be 
I mean, obviously, the guy has lived nine lifetimes since Indiana, uh, what yep. he's gone through, but yep. just one of the most affable, fun, entertaining conversations that we've had uh, uh-huh. up until this one. Um, but but talk about Todd a little bit. We it, really enjoyed it. In fact, for the next <coughs> podcast, let's just have Todd and Brian talk to each other. Yeah, just listen to him. <laughs> That's cool with me. That's cool with me. I'd do it uh, anytime, and I mean it. He's a... Uh, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I, shoot, I, I'm rooting for like crazy. I mean, he's a teammate of mine and uh, after school was out and I was back living in, you know, playing in the NBA at the time. Um, I'd spend my summers here. I mean, he and I would play a lot of golf. And then when I started playing overseas and I, I made Carmel, Indiana, my home, he lived here. Um, I mean, I saw him a lot. And although, you know, I'm going to say years after that, I'm trying to give a timeline to this, maybe like, Early 2000s, you know, I, I spent less and less time with him. Um, and, and that's kind of when things for him just got rough. Mm-hmm. Water got choppy. And, you know, Todd, I think, was probably quick to tell you that he, you know, he made mistakes. And, yes. you know, and he went and paid for his own mistakes. And it was it was hard to watch from up close because I, you know, I knew him to be a way better, you know, a way higher character guy than, than what he was showing. Uh, and he just, you know, he got off the path. And, it, shoot, it happens to people, right? So I don't. Uh, I root for him like crazy. I've talked to him several times. I mean, he was he was great when Eric Anderson uh, passed away. I was putting together a um, a video um, from a lot of teammates and coaches and people that I wanted to give to Eric's son. And Todd Leary, first man up. I mean, first guy to turn it in. And just like the most heartfelt 10 minutes. I mean, it was a tearjerker. Uh, but Todd, Todd always goes way above and beyond for his friends. I mean, again, he's just had a, a rough patch, but he's a good person. He, he, he's, he's a really good guy that just had a tough stretch. One of the things about, not to go on a sidetrack here, but one of the great things about this podcast is when we get to have these conversations with guys that we revered and, and were fans of, is these kind of black and white stories, not just on Todd, but on anyone that we read and and you just kind of make silly judgments about are just not the reality. And when you get to sit down and talk to a guy like we did with Todd, you realize there's a lot more there. There's some nuance there and there's no justification. And Todd was the first to say there's no justification Uh for the decisions, but no one's all bad or all good. It's like there's there's always some some shades of gray here that that are people are more complex. Well, and I think what you see with the Indiana fan base is people who like you put in your time in the candy stripes and even if mistakes are made it's a fan base that is is like you are for Todd and what you just said they're all really rooting for things to turn out well and just after that interview and getting feedback from a lot of people is how happy people are where he's at right now everything's going in the right direction and I think we also came to appreciate how much people loved him as a color commentator which was being out here in LA Eric and I missed a lot of that but that he's really beloved for the time he put in announcing IU games no I you're you're correct all the way across I mean he's you know you the fan base is forgiving and and they they don't forget they don't forget you know back then it was a lot different like Todd was there five years too you know they saw me from seventeen to twenty two you know right. and they got to know you a lot better and uh, they don't want to desert you it seems like now guys are here and gone like you know even off the roster from last year I just saw there's all these new faces and where did some of these guys like there's there's guys that transferred away that I 
never knew their name. And I'm like, what the heck? It didn't used to be like that. Like those names on the roster from my childhood, those were like household names to right. me. You know, all of those names. And I look back and I've, I've laughed about it a couple of times. And I, I think of all these, you know, Mark Robinson. And I, I, I could just, just spit off a bunch of names of players that you guys may or may not remember. And I laugh going, I wonder why I remember these guys. They didn't even play. <laughs> but they were, to me, like the fact that they were on that roster, I memorized where they were, their hometown, their height, weight, and how much they averaged in high school. I knew all that stuff because I loved it. One of my favorite players in Indiana history, somebody we have not talked about, but we should try to get, I love Todd Meyer from the 87 squad. Oh, sure. I mean, a guy who was not a star, you know, played sparingly. But like you said, Brian, like when you were a fan back then, you knew 1 to 13 on the team. And yeah. and when they got a minute or two of playing time, you were excited. And when you saw him set a good screen, you got excited. Like, <laughs> hey, he's my guy. All right, yeah. so I, let's move on to the next year because it actually does relate to Todd as well. The mm-hmm. next year, okay. as, as Ward talked about, we lost some great players. You start the year playing Butler, and you lose. And then you have Kentucky on the horizon, who is ranked number one in the country. Todd walked us through the reaction that Coach Knight had and the aftermath of that Butler game, that loss. What do you remember from that loss and what happened in the week before the Kentucky game? Yeah, so I, I mean, the, the week was brutal. I just remember being on the bus. You know, here, here he's got, you know, the expectations on the seniors in particular – are huge. Now he knew Damon wasn't a leader by nature. I mean, Damon was just a performer and um, a team guy, you know, so Damon's gonna, if you come off a tight curl into the lane uh, and I rub, you know, my guy's chasing me. I mean, the ball is there. I mean, he's going to put it there. You know, he's going to make the right play. You didn't have to worry about Damon going out and playing for himself. You know, he was, he played the game the right way. I mean, that's the best thing I could say about him. He's not, he wasn't a, I wouldn't call him a, a, the quintessential team captain. Uh, he may not like that, but I, I didn't look at him like that at all because um, he's quiet. Right. And he, and he wasn't didn't spend a ton of time with the team, you know. So, it's I mean, as good as he – great as he was because he was. Um, he wasn't just – he wasn't a rah-rah guy. Sure. Um, but, and like Alan, you said before about not being able to walk in his shoes, the truth is the pressure that that guy was on at 18 years old is yeah. just unlike anything that any. I mean, as all the hubbub around Romeo this last year does not compare to what Damon Bailey went through in his four years. I think that's fair to say. Well, you know, but you could say that. But there's also the the other side of that, which is, hey, he was surrounded by a ton of talent. He was on really winning teams. You that's know, that, true. Romeo can't say that that's either. I mean, and the best. There was a lot of time. pressure on that kid because nobody else could score. Fair um, point. Fair point. I think with Damon, I mean, he was surrounded by talent. Like, if he didn't start a game, it wasn't the end of the world because Greg Graham was starting. And, right. and Greg Graham was a first-round draft pick. So it's like, you know, there's two sides of that of that one with Damon, for sure. But, but but I don't even pretend to have known what it was like to enter campus like he did. Right. Because um, it's different. I mean, no one else did that. So, um, and, and I want to be clear. I mean, I, he was a great teammate. I liked playing, I liked playing hoops with him because he was going to play the game the right way. Um, but so he's a senior, we lose Allen, you know, Allen's established himself as an all big 10 player, um, going into his junior year. He's, he's healthy now, right? He's, he's come back from the knee injury. He's still wearing a knee sleeve and he's probably not a hundred percent, but he's out there and Allen wants to make a run for the NBA. 
And, you know, maybe there's times Alan would probably admit that he could be the black hole. You know, the ball came to him. He wanted to, he wanted to take a shot. Um, and you know how I feel about him as a teammate. But we just, yeah. you know, we didn't click on all cylinders, you know. And, and I'm in my sophomore year and coming off a summer where I expected to get way better. I'm going to say, you know, that small forward spot is mine, and it's going to be mine for the next three years, you know. So maybe there's a little of that going on in my head, you know, that we had a lot of guys. We still had a lot of talent, but maybe it wasn't all on the same page yet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Butler had made some strides. They'd gotten better. And, you know, whoever – who in the hell scheduled that game really should is the most at fault. Like, why <laughs> would you play your – season opener at Hinkle Fieldhouse where the whole world is against us. Right. Um, and that's what happened. Um, and we lost. But what I remember is like getting on the bus knowing this is not good. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he, he wouldn't sit down. I, I remember the bus driver was yelling at him to sit down. And I, I, I think he came close to kicking the bus driver off the bus. <laughs> and it was just – it was it was hell, you know. It was an hour long trip that felt like it took ten hours to get to Bloomington. And um, now, while he's standing up, is he screaming at you guys? Is he death staring, or w- what's happening? Everything, yeah, all of the above. He's it was like a whirlwind. He's everywhere. Um, yeah, he's coming to the back. He's going at everybody. Um, and he he tells the trainer halfway. We're not even to Martinsville, and he's telling him get get these guys taped as soon as we get off this bus. So I, we, I just cut off the tape off my ankles and had it back on in like an hour and a half later and we're on the court. And I want to say he, he put us in running shoes like we didn't wear basketball shoes. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just, I just remember being at a track meet. It was just like you guys can start running and you can just run all night for all I care. You're not going to do that to me. You're not going to do that to this program. You're going to go up and lose a game like that. And we start running. And, you know, guys are cramping up, falling out, you know, throwing up, whatever it is. And he's like, so if you couldn't run anymore, you had to do fingertip push-ups. So if you couldn't run, then you had to fall on your face and do fingertip (laughs) push-ups until you couldn't do those anymore. Then you had to get up and run until you couldn't run anymore. Then you do fingertip push-ups. And until guys just, you know, guys are cramping up, crying, falling out, dying, whatever it was. (laughs) It just went on for a long time. Could you try to define a long time? I I remember being one of the last bodies out there. I mean, at some point in time, there's no, yeah, this is hours. I mean, this is hours. So going like on. several hours. Yeah. Wow. So guys are, you know, disappearing and, you know, the, the ambulance, you know, Tim's got the, the stretcher pulling guys off and I'm <laughs> exaggerating a little bit, but guys were falling out like, you know, and, and falling off the court and like, I can't, you know, they're done. And I mean, he just, I think he, I love stuff like that. I hated being there, but I love that he was, I wanted to be the last guy standing, you know, right. just not, not that I necessarily was that day. I don't remember what happened. I just, I remember being one of the last few guys out there. Um, but he was always testing me. The ace in the hole that I, I felt like I always had, I said this um, at the hall of fame uh, speech last year. I just, the ace in the hole that I always had with him as I was always, I knew I was getting better, but what, but I don't think he understood was like the first, I, I probably got through three years of being there. So through my Richard sophomore year, every time he got up in my face, which is a lot and just nose to nose, like barking and screaming at me and you know, whatever he was saying, 
I just, I mean, for three years, I just was always thinking, Bobby Knight knows who I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Which was, you know, I was, I was cloaked with that, which just made things easier on me. I never felt, you know, and I had teammates, I mean, a lot of teammates that just were like, oh, you know, it just dominated their, their minds. Like, oh, he's going to yell at me. I'll do this wrong. Like, they're always worried about it. I just remember, you know, I'd try to tell them how I felt. They'd ask me, like, how do you do – I mean, how do you put up with this? He's on you more than anybody. How are you okay with it? I'm like, dude, I just wanted to play here. I, he's yelling at me. I just, I'm just – I can't believe he knows who I am. It's great. <laughs> so then – you play number one Kentucky, and I think it speaks to, you know, there's little moments you can look at in anybody's career that that maybe when you just put a magnifying glass on it, you're focusing on it too much, and it doesn't speak uh, larger the way we all want it to. But I look at you losing to Butler, like you said, you've just lost some of the best players in Indiana history the prior year, and you're going to play number one Kentucky, and Knight puts you through this hellacious week. And yeah. you turn in one of your best performances so far in your year plus now of playing, 19 and 6, or I'm sorry, 19 and 9 against Kentucky, and you beat them. What was that experience and game like? Well, we were, you know, we were like caged lions, you know, by the end of the week. They didn't, you know, we, we couldn't talk about it to each other, nor did we. But if you could have just seen that entire week, I mean, it was not even fair for Kentucky. I mean, if you could have just – I don't know how to describe it. It was so hard. It was so bad. There was no basketball. There was no – we didn't even have a basketball for, I mean, at least five of the seven days between those games. Wow. It was just – it was just running and running and running. And, I I mean, I don't know when we started playing with a basketball again, but it wasn't right away. And there was, I want to say, Allen may have started that game on the bench, like something, you know, he had never not started. A couple guys that were starters didn't start. I, I started, Damon started. But I want to say, like, Steve Hart was in there. And a couple random guys that weren't starters right. started that game. And then, you know, then the guys like Allen, whoever it was, came off the bench and, and, and contributed. But he had never really kind of pulled Allen and, you know, on the on – the, you know, jerk him around in terms of playing unless he was in foul trouble. Does that make sense? Sure. Absolutely. Like that was the first time I think he did that to him and trying to get a response out of Allen. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, no, keep in mind, they were number one, but we had just spent the prior two years number one. So it's, it, we had a roster of guys that weren't afraid of playing the number one team. I mean, right. We weren't afraid. They were loaded with talent. Not as much as they were two years later, my senior year, the year they actually won it. They, yeah. I mean, their the whole damn team was a pro, um, and I played against that team. Yeah, you know, with a, with a a roster that I wasn't real excited about. Um, but yeah, they, they were. You know, we went into that game thinking we can win this game, and you know, we knew we were gonna we were gonna give an effort that had never been seen before because what we had just been through. Now, as a Southern Indiana boy, are were you more inclined to hate Kentucky or Purdue? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I feel like over the course of my life, I've distri- distributed my hate equally to both of them. <laughs> do, do you still hate them as much as you always have? Because um, we do. We do. I our hate our hatred grows. 
I hate them. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I hate, you know what I hate? What I've grown to hate more, because I played for Calipari when I was with the Nets. Right. So I don't hate him, right? And he, and he wasn't the coach the whole time at Kentucky. Um, and I don't hate Matt Painter, because I've grown up playing against yeah. him, and I've known him, and, he, and he's a really good guy. He's a swell guy. So I don't hate Matt Painter at all. I have gotten to, and, and the faces and the, of the players, right? They come and go, and they change all the time. What I've decided is that I hate the fan bases really bad. Yes, <laughs> we are with you. So Real I put bad. all my focus on hating the Kentucky fans and the Purdue fans. I, I mean, hate them. I mean, really, Brian, all you have to do is think about think about Ward and me as fans of Purdue and Kentucky, and you realize why they're so hateable. Because I can understand why those guys would hate us. I get it. They're obnoxious. I, I don't like. I keep going. We, that's its own podcast. Yes, talking about those people. So, uh, by the way, just one. I want to put one more pin in the uh, Kentucky game. The way that Leary described it, uh, which you basically said the same thing. He 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 said it was not. There was no way we could lose that game. There was just. He's like after the week that we had, the right. only acceptable outcome was to win that game. Well, I don't think I don't think anybody would have. I don't think anybody because we had just been in Indianapolis, right at Hinkle. Now we're at the Hoosier Dome. I don't think anybody would have gotten on the bus had we lost the game. I don't know where <laughs> I would have gone. I'm not sure if I would have like what I would have done with the rest of my life, but I was not going to get on the bus. Right. Uh, he also talked about Damon Bailey right after that game ended, where Damon had a big game. I mean, you and Damon really led the way in that game, but Damon vomited on the sidelines directly after the game. Do you remember that at all? No, I don't. I was probably in the press room giving it off great quotes or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I want to point out one thing for us and the listeners is that when we were talking about the, the Coach Knight being a basketball genius – and we'd always gotten the analogy, he put his teams together like a car with all the parts that fit. And then you had mentioned earlier the way he could break something down so simply as like set screens for Calvert and then you'll be open for shots. There's another element. And then I feel like this this Butler to Kentucky week is one of where he as a psychologist was brilliant like he just knew and even you say how he would really ride you really hard constantly but knew you could take it maybe that's what you thrived off of is the psychological component of what he did did you pretty much always see a method to that madness or was it sometimes just madness no I never felt like it was just madness like you know after you saw some some repetition right so you get through one season and then you you start the next season, and I go, oh, gosh, yeah, two weeks in the season, he, he goes off on us and tells us we're not going to be who we think we are because, you know, we don't work hard enough or we're not getting enough out of practice. You'd see some themes, like, that he would bring back, and there are at least patterns through the year of maybe blowing up early at a practice and kicking us all out and making it like we had just come out there and laid an egg when really it was the schedule was tight and we didn't we weren't getting enough rest and he wanted us to rest our legs. It's, it wasn't in his DNA to say, hey, go rest your legs. It right. would be to kick you out and, and say, we're not, we're not dialed in like we need to be. Or, and, you know, and I started seeing those things happen year after year after year. By the time it was my fifth year, I'm like, I've, I have been to this play before. I have seen this show four times, you know. And then you're ready to really, truly lead your team 
Um, and, and that doesn't mean it's easy. I mean, you know, I, my team, my last year wasn't a great team, you know, and I look back on it now and I think we finished tied for second in the Big Ten and we're a five seed in the tournament. Uh, there's a lot of Indiana teams in <laughs> 15 years that would have traded for that yeah, season. We'll take that. And it, <laughs> and it felt like an epic fail. I mean, believe wow. me. I mean, it felt like an epic failure to tie for second in the Big Ten with, with Purdue winning it. Right. I mean, you just, you know, that's no good. So let's go through uh, pretty quickly your your sophomore year, uh, which was also um, Damon, Pat, and Leary's last year. And there were some big ups in that year uh, and some downs too. But you beat number one Kentucky. You beat number 10 Michigan. You had 14 points, 15 rebounds in that game. Lost to Kansas again. Yes, lost to Kansas again. Those guys. But maybe the biggest down besides losing the last game of the year, which is you did make the Sweet 16 and lost to BC, but maybe the biggest down was losing by 50 to Minnesota. Remember that one? Yes. <laughs> now, that did, when you look at the box score, it does seem to be a game where Coach Knight realized the team didn't have it and just pulled everybody very quickly. Because, like, you didn't rack up a bunch of minutes in that game at all. What do you remember? No, it was great. Game? I mean, because <laughs> if we were going to go back and watch film, I mean, there was very little action of, of, of number 34 for sure. <laughs> he pulled, I looked over, we were like eight minutes into the game or six minutes in the game, and I'm sitting next to Damon and we were looking at each other going, what are we doing over here, buddy? What is going on? Like, this is weird. Pat was out there. Pat was at, Pat ended up being the CBS player of the game from our side of the bench Oof. with nine points. Uh, so, yeah, not a – again, not a, a flight you wanted to, to board on right. the way back to Bloomington. But, yeah. All right, so let's go to your junior year. You now lose Damon Bailey. You lose Pat. You lose Todd Leary. Um, Pat Graham. Pat Knight is now your co-captain along with Alan Henderson. That's right. And the year starts, but you are now, obviously, Alan Henderson is a focal point, but you are clearly a, a right there with him, shoulder and shoulder, a, a focal point. The year starts not great. The year starts, your record is 4-4 four and four in the non-conference, I believe. And then you play the nemesis, Kansas, who is ranked number three in the country. I know athletes always say, oh, it's just a game. It's not about who we're playing. Every game matters. But this game, you're 4-4, four and four, and Kansas has owned you for a few years. There has to be a little bit more to it, no? Well, I had a uh, – hold on. Yeah, they were good, right? They had they had Pulp. I don't think they had Pierce yet, but they had Rafe LaFrance. I mean, they had Jock Vaughn. I mean, they always had – they always had NBA guys, right? The, the only difference about that season was they were coming to Assembly Hall, and that's a that's a huge advantage, right? They'd had our number for a few years. You know, at this point in time, the only guys that had really gotten any meaningful playing time in those seasons was Allen and myself, and then we had a really young team. Um, but I, it was one of those games that's kind of like the Kentucky game after the Butler loss, you know, he was roughing us up. There's no question. We had gone to Maui and lost two out of three games. Um, he was not happy, right? So practices, I don't recall them like the Butler week, but right. practice one fun, guys. I mean, just not good. <laughs> nothing about it. I don't think he was in a really happy place with the administration at that point in time. I, I do think at that time things had started to kind of unravel a little bit where he mm. had people he wasn't happy with. 
And then you throw that on top of the fact that we're four and four. Um, and then you have Kansas coming in town ranked whatever they were second or whatever. Um, that's just a huge opportunity. Right. And for Alan and I, again, it goes without saying we weren't talking about it because you still got to go out and play the game, but I would have bet the Evans family farm that we would win that game. Wow. Do you remember what your line was from that game? Um, the only reason I know that it was pretty good is because Scott Pollard lives here in town. Oh, okay. And he's a little bit of a clown and I don't know him really well, but he was at some last, just this past March, he was at some event like NCAA tournament, March madness event, like at uh, Ruth's Chris. And I was supposed to go and I didn't go. And the guy that I was going to go with Scott Pollard was talking a lot of smack to him about me and like recorded a video of, you know, telling me to come back down there and take my beating, oh, the can- oh. you know, the Kansas beating. And I looked up the box score. I knew I had a good game. Yeah. I just, and my response was, I just sent him the box score. <laughs> well, and so I knew I was like 29 and something, I don't know, 12 rebounds or something like that. And Pollard was like six points, five rebounds. I sent him the box score and he just, he took it like a man. I, I like how you casually threw out those numbers. Like, yeah, 20, I think it was 29, maybe something like 12. It was exactly 29 and 12. It was exactly well, I told that. you. I looked at it. Yeah. I, I, it's in my phone. I still have it in my photo. Good. I like that. I, I sent like it that. to him. Uh, uh, you know what? I think we should take a moment, which is one we have not had on this podcast yet, to have a player reflect on watching the dynamic between Coach Knight and his own son. Uh, being on his team what what was that like to to witness and what was their dynamic if at all different from coach Knight with the other players good question really good question um so pat's locker uh, ours were right next to each other so we had this l-shaped locker room and um it, it and i sat at the the long part of the l at the very end right next to the whiteboard um that's also the danger zone. I mean, when he's up there doing things at the board, I mean, not a great seat necessarily. I, just, but, but I, just, my, I imagine there's usually a hole punched in it. I don't know if that's accurate. There was, yeah, this is not a, this is a tough place to sit, but they handed, they gave me the locker. I didn't pick it. Uh, but this is also the locker that uh, Randy Whitman had, which is pretty cool. Again, nice. my favorite all time player. So when I got to, you know, first got assigned this locker, I was like, yes, I have Randy Whitman's locker. And then I proceeded to kind of go through what he went through and, you know, <laughs> It was pretty cool. But so Pat was right next to me and, you know, I, I lived it with him, you know, as a red shirt and watching him, you know, coach did treat him like, like any other guy at certain times, but he also, you know, you could also tell he wanted his son to improve and wanted his son to play and wanted his son to earn it. You know, he wanted him to earn playing time. And, and, and ultimately that really wasn't in the cards. Um, and so there's times that he questioned him, you know, his work ethic. Are you coming in here? Because Pat struggled with his shot. And, you know, he he would, you know, we'd go into practice. And I can remember coach, you know, just storming in the locker room, say to the assistant coaches, was Pat in here today? Did Pat come in and work on a shooting today? You know, and if the answer is no, Ooh. I mean, it's just, you guys, you can understand. It's just a... It was like a no-win situation, you know. And, and if he did come in and work on a shot, and then we'd go out to practice and he couldn't make one, it was like, you know, it was just tough. I mean, it, it was just a tough, tough person to be. I mean, I would not have wanted to trade places with Pat. Um, I think at times Pat felt like he should have gone 
to Bradley or Drake. I, for some reason, I recall those being Missouri Valley, a couple of schools that really wanted it, maybe Creighton um, that wanted Pat. And they wanted him for his high school career. I mean, they, they saw enough in his game that, you know, they, they saw him as a scholarship guy. And I think there was always part, a part of Pat that wished that he could have done that, to just see what he could have done outside of his dad's shadow. And I can't really blame him for that. And then there's another side of him that, you know, he went on to coach with his father. And, you know, th- those five years together, I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't trade him. So, I mean, it, it's just it was a tough thing. You know, he wasn't a great, great player but he was a capable enough player to maybe play at a slightly different level. Right. All right. So we get to your senior year. Now you lose Alan Henderson. You are the focal point. And like you've said a couple of times in this podcast, the things really uh, you could tell started to turn for Indiana, as far as just coach getting the players that he wanted, the, the amount of talent, you know, top to bottom that the roster had, it just wasn't in the cards for your senior year. However, you one of the amazing things about your career and one of the great things about college basketball when it when it is right is that we as fans get to watch a guy improve and grow and learn all about him for four years your improvement year one to year four I mean just to go through your scoring averages 5.3 points to 11.9 to 17.4 to your senior year the first player in the Bob Knight era to lead the conference in scoring at 21.2 the one thing that gets overlooked, I never really talked about here, that I'd love to to get into with you, I looked at your assist numbers year to year. Your freshman year, you averaged 1.3 assists. Your sophomore year, 2.2. Junior year, 3.3. Senior year, 4.1 assists. Those are, I mean, we've had point guards in the last 10 years that don't average four assists a game. You turn in one of the all-time great seasons at Indiana. Walk us through your senior year and what you remember of it, and your and your kind of performance and where you had grown as a player too. Well, I got to um, going into my senior year. I got invited to try out for a USA uh, World University Games team, um, and and ended up making the team. And uh, the starting lineup of that team was Allen Iverson, Ray Allen, Kerry Kittles, Tim Duncan. Uh, I'm trying to think who played the five, uh, but this was a stud team. That's right? incredible. And That's a Hall of Fame line. Yeah, all, three Hall of Famers on yeah. top, MVPs, you know, titles, the whole deal. And and this was unbelievable, right? Because I I'd gotten to where I kind of felt like on this team, like I did when I first came to Bloomington. You know, like oh, sh- I can't even keep up with these guys. And as 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 much as I felt like I was the king of the campus, and I say that you know, not meaning it like that, but just. I was good at IU, yeah. right? I'd, I'd, I'd risen up through the ranks, and I worked my butt off, and I got to where I knew I was our best player. And then I went on this team, and I'm like, oh, my God, these guys are way better than me. And there was no question. I mean, I, I there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what that did, playing on that team, was I came home, you know, I didn't I didn't have a big head going into my senior year, that's for sure. You know, I, I, I knew who was out there, and I knew that these guys are guys ultimately I want to compete against in the NBA and, and to get drafted. And, and I mean, it was a wake-up call. I'm like, my gosh, these guys were really good. I mean, and I remember thinking, man, these guys are way better than Calbert, you know, because mm-hmm. he was the best player that I had played with, you know, and Allen kind of right there with him. And these guys were, I mean, I scrimmaged. I, I played like one-on-one with Tim Duncan. He became a good buddy of mine. And, you know, I, I'm just telling you, 
I'm playing one-on-one with him. He checks the ball to me, and I didn't even know it. I couldn't even do anything. (laughs) This guy was a – his wingspan was crazy. He's quicker laterally than me. I mean, he could block any shot. I didn't have moves, you know, with the ball because I was running off screens, just trying to run away from people, catch and shoot, right? Uh Or trying to set screens for Calvert so both of our men would leave and I could shoot an open (laughs) shot. I, none of those moves worked in this game with Tim Duncan. I'm like, I, this is unbelievable how good this guy is. So when I came home, <clears throat> I was pretty humbled and going, man, I got a lot of work to do. And I mean, a lot of work to do if I want to play at the next level. Um, but I knew how to lead my team, you know, right? and I, you know, whether I was the team captain, I sure felt like I was as a junior. Um, when you looked at personalities and, and who coach spent his time getting on and and expecting to to respond to things and get the other guys to play, I felt like I was a captain for maybe three years, two and a half years. Um, and, and is a yeah. lot of that speaking up and speaking your mind to the other players? Yeah, and it's and it's and it's you know equal parts leading by example, um, taking you know taking coach's best shot and 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 not cracking and and looking him in the eye and responding to him. And then, and then you got to perform, right? You got to play. And so there's a lot of times Damon maybe wasn't that, didn't have that personality, right? And, and really wasn't cut out for that. And then, you know, the other guys that my sophomore year, they didn't, they didn't play quite enough, you know, like Todd still played a kind of a complimentary role. Um, you know, and there, we, the funny thing about that season, if we had to go backwards is we never talked about is we had three senior guards, right? Pat, Damon, Todd, and three freshman guards, Rob Foster, Sharon Wilkerson, Steve Hart. Mm -hmm. And as much as you've heard me say great things about Pat, Damon, and Todd, I don't know if they'd agree with this or not, but I don't feel like they handled that the right way. Mm. They, um, the way the Indiana works is you've got to mentor the young guys and bring them up and communicate with them and teach them what coaches' expectations are going to be. And it's a huge part as a link from, from season to season. It's, it's a huge responsibility to do that. And those guys were fighting for playing time against the young guys. And coach really liked that young group of guys. And there was times where Steve and Sharon played more than, you know, the senior guys. And, and I felt like there was a big disconnect there where mm-hmm. maybe that, maybe that, you know, that bridge between year to year that, that the older guys kind of let us down there and really didn't help those young guys as much as they could have because it was about playing time and fighting to play. And, you know, Pat had lost a lot of his career to injury, wanted to play. I, I just don't think they helped him quite enough. So I, I feel like I was doing that. I feel like I spent a lot of my time trying to mentor and talk to those young guys. Steve Hart was a high school teammate of mine. So, you know, I knew him real well. And I, I don't know. I felt like I was trying to help those guys at times where the older guys weren't. And it, and it hurts the team because, you know, as a junior and senior, that was my job is to, to get these guys to understand. And, you know, we brought in Neil Reed and Charlie Miller, Andre Patterson from all out-of-state guys, Mandeville, California guys. And, you know, as, as an upperclassman, it's your job to let get them to understand what this Purdue rivalry is about, to get them to understand what this Kentucky game is about because they don't know. You know, we all grew up knowing. I, when I when I first joined the team, thirteen out of our fifteen guys were from Indiana. The two that weren't were, were from Illinois, <laughs> Eric and Jamal. Right. Um, by the time I left, I think I was the only Indiana guy in the roster. Maybe there was one more. 
Mm. And that's a, and so that's a huge turnover, not just talent, but of Indiana product, you know, guys that understood what it meant, guys that had read season on the brink, guys that had watched for years growing up, they were gone. Yeah. You're I actually, you, you're almost exactly right. Sharon, your senior year was from Jeffersonville. Right, but the, other yep. than that, my God, you're right. That is that is a hell of a turnover to go from. And he didn't, and he didn't finish there. I mean, you right. think about it. So right. if you look at the team photo or the team opening roster from my senior year, um, Lou Moore, Chris Rolls, um, these are names that nobody knows. I mean, I could go on. Rob Foster, there was Sharon. They all transferred. I think there's like seven guys that uh, Rob Hogsden um, that didn't finish at IU and that were gone like the next year. For the next wow. two years. So, I mean, there's just a – and that's why when I look back, I'm like, hey, those are pretty good seasons. Yeah, <laughs> and a season that Indiana fans would kill for over the last several. Um, right. So, you you come back from that camp where you play against these NBA players. Uh, you realize you have a lot of work to do. Did your off-season uh, workouts change because of that, or was it a mentality thing? Because you do – No, it was – no, we came – so I came back, like, this time of year where school had already started. So – when I came back, we were in preseason conditioning. What I do think it did for me was it was a month of conditioning and really good basketball uh, leading up to our season. So instead of, you know, having you know the second summer session, being in Bloomington, having a grand old time and getting out of shape, I was I was playing against, you know, that, that type of talent every day. And we're doing two days and everything else. So when I came back, I was I was on, you know, I was ready to go. And, and really just energized that this was my last go around. And so everything we did, preseason conditioning, which is a tough, tough program, I just said, I'm going to lead everything, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead from the front, you know, in all of our running, you know, and I'm, I'm not a gifted runner, guys. Uh, <laughs> all you have to do is watch some video of that. Um, but I just decided I was going to win every race, you know. We're going to be at the soccer field running. I'm going to set the pace. And I had to, I mean, I had to work awfully hard to do it because we have guys that were way, you know, better athletically than me. But I just was like, I'm going to lead every place I can lead. I'm going to try to lead this team. And, you know, that was the mindset going in. The expectations weren't probably national championships, but it was Big Ten championship for sure. Right. Um, And you know what? It was a rough start to the season. I mean, we went out to the Alaska shootout and played terrible. Um, having said that, we lost to Duke, right. we lost to UConn with Ray Allen, and they were a top five team. And so it's not like you go out to those tournaments. I mean, you're you're not playing cupcakes, you know. It's not it's not the if you look at the schedule that we're going to play this year. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, Archie padded it up. You know, it's it's not tough. This was, and then we come back and we play Kansas, Kentucky. Uh, this I mean, look at the schedule. You can look at this our record, but. You need to look at the schedule as you look at our record. Yeah, and yeah, by the way, looking and, at it right now, and, and people talk about how tough the Big Ten was last year. Here's how tough the Big Ten was that year for you. Penn State, when you played them, was ranked number nine in the country. <laughs> I, I mean, when Penn State is ranked ninth in the country, I mean, you're thinking that that's a gimme game in the Big Ten. You're playing Iowa, Michigan, Kansas, Kentucky. I mean, you are playing just multiple, multiple top fifteen, top ten, top five teams. And, oh, it's like a perfect storm, dude. And you're exactly right. I mean, when Penn State, I think they started the season 12-0, and 0, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. 
You gotta be kidding me. Penn State's good now. This is brutal. <laughs> and Brian, you are pouring in amazing performance after amazing performance. You score 28 against number one Kentucky. By the way, a couple weeks later, you play Kansas, ranked number one, score 26 against them. You play Michigan, you score 29 and eight, get eight rebounds. You play Iowa, you get 25 and five. You play Penn State, top 10 Penn State team, you go for 32 and seven. You turned in your senior year, just one of the all-time great Indiana seasons ever, and you are rewarded with Big Ten Player of the Year. I know you're a team guy and you want the team to do well, and it just wasn't in the cards, but from an individual accomplishment and achievement standpoint, how did it feel to know where you had come from, where six years before you didn't even think you were that good, and now you're Big Ten Player of the Year? What was that like for you? Um, uh, you know, the, um, he does such a great job of making it about the name on the front, which it's all about that. And it was, I mean, it really truly was, and it was to me and it was to, um, anyone that's going to have success there. It is all about the name on the front. So if you could understand the lumps that I took through this season, um, it didn't feel very heroic. I don't know how to, Eric, I don't know how else to say it. Like it was rough right? and you never go, but I had 30. It's mm. just not part of it. I mean, it's just not like, you know, we lose a game. I'm trying to win the next game to get us out of this rut because the practices and the, in the vibe, they don't stop. I mean, it doesn't get better unless you win. And so it's just trying to win. I mean, that's really all that place is. And, and that's what's, I think, what made it so special. is like, it's not about anything else. Now, granted, after it's all said and done, um, I think the the coolest part for me is, as Coach said to several people, and it got back to me, he may have said it in the media, he said that, I don't, he said at my senior, senior night, like our last home game, he said he doesn't think that he ever had a player that improved more from, the day they got there to the day they left than me, which that means a ton to me. Wow. That is a great, you know, I'll take that with me. I still have it, right? I just used it. Yeah. <laughs> used it but it did. I mean, that meant everything to me just because, you know, I know the recruiting story. Right. I know the roster. You know, I know the whole deal. I was there the whole time. And for him to say that, it means everything. I think one thing we have – not mentioned that gets mentioned to you still quite a bit and I think really helped endear you to we the fans and I would have to imagine your coach and teammates appreciated this too was your toughness was popping your own shoulder back into place on the court was that I mean was that something where it just no matter how bad the pain was you wanted to play more Oh, no, I mean, the, it's a funky injury. The first, like the first time it happened, it was, it was very painful, right? It happened during a game. I, I want to say that who's your classic of my sophomore year. And, um, and I, I was, I passed out. Like, I don't know if I passed out for the pain or I don't, I don't think it was that, but like when it popped out, I was, I was out. I mean, they, Tim Garl woke me up with smelling salts and when they had to, uh, they call it sublex the shoulder and put it back into place that hurt. Mm. Um, and then they, they shot me up with some feel-good stuff, and then I was fine. I was eating popcorn and watching the game in the locker room with Leary, <laughs> who had who had hurt his knee in the same game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so the injury, the way that works, the shoulder is that 
now all those ligaments are really loose. And so my shoulder kind of slid in and out of place a lot. Uh, it only came out of place twice, all the way out of place, where they had to be put back in. That happened in a, in a game at home against Ohio State, which was, I, I want to say, a double overtime game. Pat Graham played really well. Coach Knight got tossed out of the game. Uh, it came back out of place all the way in that game. And putting it back in was was brutal. What happened in the game that I I mean that people remember was it just it kind of slid. It, it was it got so loose, you know, the the ligaments got so loose that it could it could slide around kind of in and out of place, not all the way out of place, pretty easily. Like it it happened if I went and tried to open a door with my right arm, I could feel like you know slippage in my shoulder, mm. and it and it just it would just take like a I don't know like a a little slight move and I could feel it slide back in. So, but that did, it wasn't a painful thing when that happened. Okay. Um, that's what happened in the game. It kind of slid halfway out of place and I've seen the video and it kind of looks like it popped back in. I've had people come up to me guys over the years, like, like there's a little bit of a legend to this thing somehow where yeah. I've had tons of people go, I remember when you went up to the, you know, the backstop behind the, and, and, and slapped it back into place and knocked it back in. I'm like, yeah, I saw that too. That was in Lethal Weapon. That was <laughs> all I can think of is is Riggs, right? Yeah, Martin Riggs. I'm like, that was Martin Riggs. I, I didn't do that, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm like, if you want to try to make it sound like I was some Viking, I mean, I'll, I'll play along. <laughs> Did you feel any kind of special bond with Juwan Morgan during the course of his career over that, or? No. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like, that's all I could think of is when I, I would see him and he'd have to wear those braces. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, we saw that like 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, they should have something better than the thing I was wearing by now. You think they could have have improved. But... Yeah, that thing was. No, I years. had, you know, I, but people do remember it. And I, and yeah, do I think it was endearing to him? And it was for Coach, too. I mean, Coach was always. He'd bring it up every time he'd talk about kicking me off the team. He would say the only reason I'm still playing there is because I played hurt for him. And <laughs> otherwise, he would have gotten rid of me a long time ago. So we, he used to bring it up. But I, you know what? The, once you once you heard it, like I had to do a couple weeks of rehab and I missed a game. I missed like two games during rehab just trying to strengthen, you know, around the shoulder, doing exercises and whatnot. And I just didn't want to do that again. So like the game that that happened, I didn't want anybody to know that it was coming out of place. I just, I, I mean, I literally didn't want Tim to say, Hey, you heard a shoulder, sub him out. I just didn't want to leave. And it wasn't, I wasn't in a, any kind of pain. It's just like, it was acting up and doing funny stuff and sliding around. But um, I, you know, I didn't want him to take me out and then have to miss two games doing rehab and, you know, uh, doing shoulder exercises. That wasn't fun either. I don't want to say we're the same, but my sophomore year at Indiana, uh, during little five week, I went over to the Walnut Knolls apartments and it was a rainstorm and uh, there was a big courtyard in the middle with a bunch of mud and water. And I told everybody that I was going to do a, a face dive, you know, and slide a bunch. And I did. And I threw out my shoulder and uh, popped it out of place. So for the rest of my college career, it would slip in and out. No big deal. Just popped it back in. And I went, I popped it back in and I walked to theater class. That's what I did, guys. No problem. Oh, that's good. Uh, so now your career is over at Indiana, Big Ten MVP, th third team All American, and it's time to play basketball professionally. And Brian Evans from Terre Haute South, thinking that they're still playing Shackamack, 
gets drafted in the first round by the Orlando Magic. Give us just a little taste of what the run-up to the draft was like and, and actually getting drafted. Um, it was, it was a hectic thing. I mean, you just, you didn't, you know, I didn't have a ton of support, you know, cast my, my folks had never been through anything like that. Uh, we lost our last game in the first round of the tournament in Orlando, which was just a little bit of irony there. Um, but coach wasn't happy with me and didn't want to help me and didn't want to talk to me. Didn't want to see me. Why not? So I, what, what, what was that about? Cause you lost. Well, we lost. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, we lost in the first round. I mean, he didn't want to lose the first round. So, I mean, he was, that's him. I mean, right. he, he's assuming I'm going to go get help elsewhere and find an agent or whatever it is. And I didn't never talk to him after the game. And then, um, next thing you know, I, you go to uh, pre-draft camps and I knew I had to play well at those things. I, I played pretty, pretty well at the Chicago camp. I got to give a shout out to Drew Barry. Um, if you remember him, of course, mm-hmm. He, um, you know, there's probably six or eight different teams at, at the Chicago pre-draft camp, which has turned way more into a combine nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back then it was it was more scrimmaging and just some light testing. You know, the way you measure you, send you through all the physical doctor stuff. And um, But I got put on the same team as Drew Barry, who was really a pass-first guy. And really, you know, again, with a dad who was a great pro, was a cerebral player, and like Damon, makes the right plays. And... You know, he looked at me as a guy that could get him some assists, you know, and I, I looked at him as a guy like, this guy's going to find me if I'm open because I'm not going to create stuff on my own. And, and a lot of times when you get in those types of camps, everyone's creating their own stuff, right? It turns into kind of like a, a summer league kind of deal. And I never look good in a summer league. Like, in fact, I look really bad in a summer league. Mm-hmm. Uh, just nope. just not, my, not my type of basketball, right? Nobody setting I'm, screens for you. Yeah, with more of them around, co- you know, coaching staff or whatever, they're going to see what I do well and where I can help the team. And if it's just going and trying to get your own, that's just not me. And it never was. And um, so I got I got lucky with Drew and that he was trying to get me the ball and he was looking for me. And, and he, he'd say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to just I'm going to dribble down hard down the left side. Just fill in behind me. You're going to have a shot. I'm just going to flip it back behind you. And, and the guy was good. And he got me a lot of shots. I shot it well. Um and, you know, going into the draft, I felt pretty good. Then you go and travel to a bunch of different cities, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. You've watched me play for five years, 35 games. Then we go to you, – you see me up close and personal and, um, you know, the draft, at the pre, pre-draft, and that's still not enough. Now you gotta, now you got to travel all these different cities that might be interested in you and do individual workouts. And in my case – you know, I've got, I got plenty of holes in my game, you know, and physically I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to be like some of the other guys in the league. And so I had some teams that wanted to put me through a battery of tests that were, that were not going to, that were not going to look good. Right. <laughs> I remember Sacramento Kings had the 13th pick. They ended up picking Peja. Good call by them. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> they, uh, they had me doing like this shut some shuttle run over and over and over. Like, I don't know if they were trying to do is like expose me like that. I wasn't that fast in the shuttle run. Like, <laughs> dude, do your homework. I'm terrible at a shuttle run. Why, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, I'll save you the trouble. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that's what you're looking for, <laughs> let me help you. Right. I mean, there's all these other guys. Were you having any doubts through this process that you belonged in the NBA or were you like, no, it's just going to take the right team to see what I have to contribute and it'll be fine. 
I, yeah, it's in that league. It's about trying to get to the right spot. You know, I knew I could play. I mean, you, you've I always heard, hey, shooters are at a premium in the league, and you know they're always going to need shooting. Um, and I, I don't know. I thought I was pretty good, and so I, I was, I was thinking, hey, I just want to get on the right team because I know I can play. And if I had a do-over, I would have probably hired a different agent that really tried to focus on teams that I would be good on, like Phil Jackson running a, a certain type of offense. I would do well in that. Jerry Sloan running a certain kind of offense. Greg Popovich. There's a handful of guys that, that are going to run sets that make sense. And they're, you know, but you have to be a basketball player to play in that, in that set. Like I was on a couple teams that was just all set plays. And if you're a shooter, you're in the corner. You know, right. When I was in Orlando, Penny Hardaway has the ball, or they're going to be a two-man game with he and Horace Grant, and they're going to work from there. And if the ball gets moved all the way around the corner, I'm going to shoot from the left corner. And and I was I, I was a different player than that. You know, I was better if I was on the move, more like a Chris Mullen when he was in Indiana. When you're moving around, and you're harder to guard when they don't know where you're going to be. Right. If you're just standing there, and they're just saying, "Hey, recover to the shooter!" Like, don't let him have an open shot. That's you know, you've just taken away weapons you know of, of, of mine at least to get away from people and you're you're more elusive if you're on the move today's game i'd kill to play in today's game no kidding you know, i bet you gotta you're gonna score 130 points people are losing people in transition if you can make shots you're gonna play you're gonna make money I, and I, back then we were playing in the 70s yeah. I, I played a couple games in orlando that we scored 56 points in the game wow you have to look that up <laughs> oh, wow. we, we lost at cleveland and we had 56 points Holy! Now fifty-six points. Some teams are getting in a quarter and a half. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's di- but a different time, different league, you know. And it was a, it was that New York Nick Pat Riley smash mouth defense league. And I mean, just really not great timing, right? If you sure. were me, not a great time to come through league. I watched the game today. I'm like, gosh, that'd be awesome. But look, you played over a hundred. Well, let's. I'm sorry. Let's get to the draft. So then you are drafted number twenty-seven by the Orlando Magic. What did right. that feel like? What was that moment like? It was not great because I had I was at Nick's English Hut by the way up yes. the top of the stairs. That's where I watched it from. Um, I had I had see, the Knicks had three picks. I remember this, and I worked out for them for Van Gundy and uh, Riley, and they or actually it was Van Gundy. I think Riley had just left for Miami, um, and he really liked me. And they were telling my agent, "Hey, we got three picks. I think eighteen, nineteen, twenty-one, something like that." And you're as good as gone. We had two other teams that canceled my workout because they said there's no way that Knicks aren't going to take him. So I thought I was going to New York. Um, then I had the 26th pick was Detroit, and that was Doug Collins at the time. And he told me point blank that if I was available at 26, I was a piston. So this is kind of like me. this is kind of like you saying you were going to pick Eric at the fantasy camp. Same thing. Same thing. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Very similar. <laughs> yeah, so so Doug Collins fudged on me. So, so that's why I'm just serving it back up to you. But, yeah, he said he was going to take me and didn't. And that was the last team that I worked out for because I had all these promises in New York, New York. And then Doug Collins said, look, you'll be a piston. He, and, and then there was all this talk after my workout with them that they were going to move up and pick me higher because they wanted to get me and didn't want me to go to New York. And so we were feeling pretty good. 
about four days before the draft, the magic call, and my agent said, would they like me to come down and work out? And I declined it and said, no, I, you know, it's too close to the draft, and Brian's already worked out for all these teams and feeling pretty comfortable he's going to get picked before 27. So when 26 picked Jerome Williams, oh. I wasn't having fun. Right. Mm. I was not having a good time and didn't know what would happen after that. I also had the Bulls at 29 coming off a of Jordan year, title year. Um they're one of their executives called my agent and said, would Brian, if we pick him at 29, would he go, this is a few days before draft, would he go to uh, play in Europe? Could we put him in Europe, park him there, because we don't need roster help, because we're, you know, veteran team winning titles. And I said no. Hmm. And that guy went off on my agent. It's like, who does this guy think he is? He's not, you know, can't tell the Bulls no. And, and I, I didn't want to do that. I want to play in the NBA, right? right. So, mm-hmm. And we felt, again, certain I was going to get picked way before that. So I wasn't uh, necessarily on cloud nine until they picked me. And then it was, oh, my God, this could be perfect. Shaquille O'Neal is drawing triple teams. And I could stand on the perimeter. You know, this would be like my freshman year all over again, right? Right. Um, Stand around and make shots without people guarding me. Um, And then Shaq left a week later. Right. Which then just kind of just ruined the whole deal. How, Hmm. How good was Penny Hardaway? Before he got hurt, you got to see him up close and personal. How good of a player was he? Was, uh, you know, I, I saw him. I feel like right when I got there, he was starting to have the knee issues. I saw wow. some explosion. You know, I mean, I, I saw some of it, glimpses of it. He had a good playoff series. We played, My first year we played Miami, too, in the first round and ended up losing. But he had a couple big games. And, you know, so I saw it at times. But his best basketball in Orlando was played with Shaq. Right. I mean, it just was. I mean, so I, I saw some glimpses, but I also saw him. He was missing games, right? He'd missed three or four games with his knee acting up. And, you know, obviously it was a bigger injury than than we all knew because um, he never really he never really got whole again. Um, but playing with Shaq was just – just all of those guys suffered. Horace Grant, everyone's game. I, could, I mean, they were just – there was team turmoil. They ended up getting the coach fired because everyone realized, wow, we were so – I was – you know, everyone was such a better player with Shaq on the court. <laughs> right. And now he's gone and everybody was started pointing fingers and it was pretty ugly. Now, now so I was just going to say, did you experience anything like you did your freshman year, as you, you know, of like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to really bust it to keep up – with my team or the other players on the court, or were you pretty comfortable from day one at, at your uh, worth out there and that you were going to be able to stick around for a bit? Well, no, I heard, so I had an unfortunate, you know, uh, injury. So in the summer league, about two weeks after they drafted me, I hurt my shoulder again, like dislocated it completely again Mm -hmm. and um, missed I don't know, 80% of my, my rookie year, which was, that it was devastating to miss that. Right. right. So missed training camp, you know, I had surgery immediately mid July mm-hmm. of 96 and, um, missed most of the year. I think I came off the IR. Yeah. You only played in, in 14 games. I think that. Yeah. Part, maybe February, mm-hmm. or February, April, something like that. I came off, you know, the IR. Now we're in a playoff race and I'm a rookie who hasn't, you know, late first round rookie who hasn't played at all. And, you know, battling through, you know, having rust and having never played in that league. So it was just a really crappy timing to get hurt, you know, and, 
and then missed missed some important stuff. You know, like you're when you're going through training camp, you need to be in the locker room, you need to be with the team. And I'm off doing rehab. It was you know, it's kind of kind of stunk. Yeah, and it was that that was the first time you'd had the the shoulder surgery, right? You'd you'd never. No, 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 no. I had it after my sophomore year. I, I mean, oh, Doctor Steve Allfeld okay. repaired the shoulder. Uh, and it just randomly, you know, and I got through, you know, the next two seasons, and then it happened after the draft. Did you enjoy playing basketball in the NBA? Were you having fun at all, or was it a job? You know, it was it was kind of bizarre. I mean, you're living a good life, right? You're traveling, and you're. Um, I would have probably have done some things differently. I, I wasn't surrounded with a lot of structure. You know, I, I was shocked by how much you're just doing your own thing. You know, I mm-hmm. couldn't believe that the, the team, and I think teams have changed, and based on everything I know, and Frank Vogel's a good buddy of mine, guys, they're circling up. I think they've drafted so many young people that they ha- they realize, the teams realize, we've got to circle around these guys and, and make sure that they're being taken care of. You know, they've got nutritionalists now. There's just, there's way more structure, I think, around ownership and running teams. I got to Orlando, I could, there was nobody there. I mean, none of the guys hung around. Everybody, you know, nobody wanted to live in Orlando in the summertime. I get it. It's hot. But everybody would go to their summer homes. Everyone goes to Vegas. Everyone goes to California. And they play pickup in whatever league, and nobody hangs around. Um, that surprised me. Right. Um, and then you just, you know, as a young guy, I just was working out on my own. I couldn't believe they didn't have assistant coaches like, hey, I'm not playing, right? Or I'm not playing a ton of minutes. Why don't we have the – the last four or five guys on the roster in here working them out. That's what coach would have done. Right. But there's just, they just don't do it. I, I do think they've changed that. I do think from talking to Frank and some other people that they do that, you know, they're not going to let you sit around and not just cause you're not in the rotation. Uh, you're just collecting paychecks. That's kind of what it felt like. Right. I do think you're right that with the, the NBA has changed since you were there with the, focus on drafting potential, you know, and yep. how valuable each one of these big draft picks can be. The development money that they're spending now, the investment in the G League, the investment in training and, and you know, load management and all that stuff. It just seems like there's much more focus on development, uh, asset development, really, in the NBA than there ever was before. I, I totally agree with that. And, and I think it's also changed even in college, like the, yeah. the nutrition side. I watch what they're doing in Bloomington and how much they surround all these guys with just options and opportunity to, you know, I needed that. We were our training table with steak and shake. Yes. Are you kidding me? That's you good. You can't feed me that. And then, <laughs> and then tell me to go play 40 minutes. I don't know how I did. I look back. I'm like, I don't even know how I could run. What, I, what was your go-to? I was a, I was a Frisco milk guy. Still am really. You do what? Uh, I'm a Frisco melt guy at Steak and Shake. What's what's your go-to, or what was your go-to? You're talking about Steak and Shake. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm the hungry. Chili Mac Five Way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For a second, we were worried that you were like had no memory of Steak and Shake, and then you hit us with the Chili Mac Five Way, and all is right in the world. I feel like you called me out. Like my, and I, my pause was, I, I couldn't believe I needed to tell you. I also <laughs> like the Frisco melt. That was money. Yeah. Well, no. Look, we go. I'm I'm back there at least once a year with my wife and our children. My wife's from Fort Wayne. We all live out here in California. But when the kids come back and they're born and raised in California, the first thing we do. 
is we get the rental car from the Indianapolis airport and we drive to the Steak and Shake just off the 465 <laughs> on the west side and we, we well, show them what's up. Yeah. We tell them what's up. I'm with you. I love it. I love uh, that. So, Brian, I want to uh, skip ahead a little bit here, but I want to ask you something personal here. Where did you meet your wife? So I met my wife in Bloomington. Uh, she had just uh, – so when I the year I left, she came in as a freshman. She played on the volleyball team uh, for four years. And then I met her um, – so right when she finished up her coursework, I was back in town after my fourth season out of school. So I had just played my first year in Italy. And I was back in town for the golf scholarship outing that coach threatened me. Uh, if I didn't come back and play in every year, I would not be welcome in Bloomington. <laughs> So I was in town for that and met her through a, a good buddy of mine from school that was on the golf team when I played. Um, he hung around and was the assistant golf pro at IU, and he was dating a volleyball player, a, a friend of my or a teammate of my wife. So I met up with uh, him to have a couple of beers at Yogi's, and I met my future wife at Yogi's. That's great. When did you get married? We got married in June of '01. Got it. So. Uh... I know that there might be a story where you're um, back in Bloomington after you graduated with your new, I think, father-in-law. And your father-in-law has never met Coach Knight before. Mm -hmm. And you think, I got an idea. I'm going to introduce him to Coach Knight. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I know where you're going. <laughs> and... uh I see you. I see you yeah, over there. Yeah, I just want the story, man. I just I heard there's a story about your father-in-law meeting Coach Knight. Yeah, so he did. He we we came over the morning of a football game, and we'd been tailgating a little bit. And I was getting ready to leave the country again, um, back to Italy, and thought after a few Miller Lights, it'd be a good idea to <laughs> go in and introduce him. And Coach, uh, he I knocked on the door. He, he called us in, and he heard my voice. knew it was me, and you know, told me to sit down, but he had just, uh, he just showered. He had just jumped out of the shower. And so he hadn't even gotten dressed or anything, but he had, uh, he was kind of standing there uh, dripping wet and said hello to my father-in-law. And, and that's about all I want to share. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so I'll just ask a couple questions about it. So when you say he was just out of the shower, uh, a lot of people after they take a shower, uh, like to you know go to the bathroom too. Is, is that something that Coach Knight might have done in that story? He could have. It's you know this is see what is that? That's like eighteen years ago. Yeah. So it's fuzzy. Oh, is <laughs> it okay? So it's possible. And then he probably just didn't have time to put on any clothes and probably came out uh, to shake your your father in law's hand, who had worshipped Coach Knight. And your father in law's first experience with meeting Coach Knight was a totally stark naked coach Bobby Knight shaking his hand right after he showered and used the bathroom. That's possible, right? Uh, we would have to have a dedicated podcast with Joe Hyman is his name. And, uh, yeah, we could probably get him on and, and see what he remembers. <laughs> uh, Todd Leary told us that when he was told he was going to redshirt, coach Knight told him he was going to redshirt while buck naked in a red Indiana lazy boy chair with Ron Felling and Dan Dockage totally clothed next to him, which he thought was the strangest part of the story. Uh, did you ever have any encounters with Coach Knight um, uh, not fully clothed? In, in his birthday suit? 
Well, I guys, I mean, this is uh, we've digressed here. He <laughs> was, we were. Wait a minute. Let's go back to the Big Ten MVP year. Let's talk some more. Now, he, you know what? It's a locker room. It's a locker room setting. Anything that happens in a locker room kind of has to stay in the locker room. It's a little bit like Vegas. All right. Where, you know, Todd brought a couple things out of the locker room. Yes, he did. Um, and you know what? There's times that coach was, you know, after a game, we'd get home, called this a road loss, and he would start watching film or think of a missed block out of, you know, Brian Evans you know, failed to block somebody out in a critical point in the game, and he couldn't wait to come over and talk about it. He had to talk about it right now. So uh, potentially he had just been out of the shower. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. All right. Wait, I do have to, uh, you know, Eric obviously came back from, from fantasy camp with a lot of great stories. And I just wanted to confirm one thing, which I think is, is fit for the air. Is it true you felt that you spent one calendar year of your human life sitting in the bleachers of assembly hall because coach Knight told you to sit there. Oh no. What I was saying that's close to that, but we had our locker room. We sat in there. You always had to get there early, right? Because if coach ever called a meeting at 4 PM, right. And you got there at three 55, what if he would have gotten there at 10 till? Okay. (laughs) So, you could never have that happen, and everybody knew that. So you just typically get there 30, 40 minutes early. I mean, you just you just did. But that's cool, too, when you think about it. That's the kind of respect that he commanded. Like, you're just – you can't be late, you know. I've kept that with me forever, you know, punctuality and, and just – I don't want to hold people up. I, I always get there early. It doesn't matter what it is. And, you know, that was instilled, you know, a long time ago. I'll, I'll tell, even tell you a quick story on that. So my first ever team meeting – Alan and I are at Reed Hall. We get informed that we got to be at Assembly Hall at three o'clock, like on a Tuesday, and we're like, "Okay, coach is back in town. It's our first ever team meeting." Now, for me, it's like I, I guess I am on the team. I guess I do have a scholarship. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited, and we go. We get there. I want to say like a quarter till, and we walk down the hallway that you just visited this past year. We get in yeah. there. The entire team, that team that you were talking about, that's so great. All of the, every upper upperclassman is sitting in his chair, feet forward, hands on their laps, looking straight ahead. <laughs> and that's one of the scariest sights I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like, oh shit, this is going to be ridiculous. This is going to be something I, I'm unfamiliar with. Everyone's sitting there. No one's goofing around. No one's talking. And I sit down and Pat Knight says to me, where have you been? And I said, dude, we're 15 minutes early. And he says, what if he would have walked in here? (laughs) And it scared me to death. It scared me half to death. So I've always been 30 minutes early the rest of my life. Oh, that's great. Uh, When I said that we sat in there, what I meant was all these different meetings. You just think of all the practices you're just always there early, you know, and you get back from a road trip. Um, we'd sit in there and wait and wait and wait for him to come in and address the team. And I, I feel like I've spent a, a year of my life with my teammates sitting in the locker room, not in the bleachers. Got it, in the locker room. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to the current program. Uh, and we don't need to focus on 
We're not going to focus on the last 19 years. We're just going to focus on the last couple. Let's with- let's focus on the last few days yeah. and what you guys learned. Had you had you been in uh, contact? Uh, had you had a relationship with Archie and the other coaches at this point, or was this kind of new for you this weekend? Uh, no, I mean he he's Archie's. I don't know what five years younger than me, something like that. I yeah. know his older brother. Um, I'm a I'm a year or two younger than Sean, maybe a few years younger than Sean. Um, our paths have crossed a couple times. I sat with him at a final the last time the final four was here. I sat with he and Matt Painter for a while. I'm talking about Sean now, Archie. So when he took the job, I mean, I'm I'm guessing now Eric Anderson, who is a was dear dear friend of mine played um on a world university games like that team i was on with sean miller Mm. so when archie got the job eric and sean linked up and you know kind of talked and said hey you know sean told him hey brian and eric are two good guys they'll be around if you need anything from them you know they're good dudes and they'll help in any way they can so i want to say a week into it i got a text from archie and you know we've had a just a texting relationship you know since then every so often when they go get a good win uh, you know, during the recruiting season, I might shoot him a text and say, hey, if you're up, you know, my side of town, you know, holler at me. I'll go watch a, a you know, high school game with you, whatever. Uh, and I try, you know, so I stay about that far away and root for the team and watch all the games and that I can watch. And, um, you know, he's got a he's got a big job to do. And, you know, you don't want to I don't want to feel like he's you know got to cater to me and I'm in the way. But, I, you know, I just want him to know, hey, we're here and we're big fans and we'll help in any way. And I, I feel like I, I know all the older guys. I was such a big fan growing up that all the way up to the Buckners and everybody else, I feel like I can bridge that, you know, th- those eras a little bit. Cause I know all these guys and, you know, if he needed anything from anybody that, you know, I can pull a group of guys together. In talking to coach a little bit at this camp, it was clear to me that that is important to him that connecting with guys like you and the past Indiana players, even Vic, obviously, who put on the camp, that it feels like there's no lip service with Archie. There's no BS, that that's important to him. And part of doing this camp experience, I think, is part of that as well, to reconnect with with former players. It was nice to see Calbert back for a couple hours when he could make it on Friday. Um, Do you get that sense from Archie as well? No, I do. I do. And it's authentic with him. I mean, but he's a no nonsense guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's got a big job to do. Right. And you know, it's not a shoe in, you know, it's not an automatic thing that he, he resurrects things. And so, you know, he's got a huge job and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very well aware of what, you know, what's in front of him and what he's got to get done. And, uh, you got to stay out of his way a little bit too. And I, I don't go down there for tours and bring in, you know, business opportunities, you know, for myself and because you could leverage it if you really wanted to. I could use it more than I do. But you know what? I respect him. And I respect his staff. And I, and, I, and I know how big of a job that is. Those guys, they're on the road and they're working, man. Uh, another really nice thing about the camp. I think you probably will agree with me here. It was nice to see Mike Roberts, who had just been hired as the third assistant and to have him around there. He was just a really fun guy to chat with. I had a really nice time chatting with him. Did you get to spend some time with him? Yeah, it's funny. He's so I don't know what our age gap is, but he's he he actually before his family moved out. Like if you looked him up, you'd see that he's from Eugene, Oregon. Uh, his first couple of years of high school, uh, he was uh, once a Terre Haute or Terre Haute North, I believe. So he's he's he spent years in Terre Haute. So when I was playing, he was a little kid rooting for me at IU, and <laughs> and then they, his family moved away to Eugene, Oregon, and. 
and that's what shows up like in his Wikipedia, but he's a Terre Haute kid. And so, um, we go, yeah. I mean, when he first came on campus, I think I was back in town during the NBA lockout and I was in town. Coach invited me back to practice with the team, which I did. And so I got to know Mike a little bit back then. And he was a wide eyed freshman. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I've got an, a, a fondness for him and rooting for him. And I was, yeah, I was, I was excited that uh, somebody from, you know, a, a roster in the past is back there. Cause it seems like, you know, that can't be a bad thing. I agree. What was something you brought away from the weekend of being around uh, the coaching staff and some of the current players, other former players coming back? Is there something, you know, because we as, as, observers of Eric's experience, which was hilarious and heartwarming and, and insightful. painful and painful. Like I said, hilarious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, th- I think we felt we all got this glimpse into the culture there, the personalities there, and it's through Eric's lens. So clearly it's skewed and it's probably extra goofy, but did you go home with a, a better sense of what's going on down there instead of just what you're seeing from afar? Uh, I, not really, not, not really, to be honest with you, you guys want me to be honest. So yes, I, yes, please. With that. I didn't, um, I was a little bit disappointed that the guys on the team weren't more interactive. Um, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at Archie. I, I know that I would give Calvert and I, okay. We were buddies and I looked up to him a ton and I learned a ton from him, but if we'd have been there, if any stoppage in play, I've been like throwing the ball and getting my fake defensive stance and, you know, want to play one-on-one with Calvert. And I got to believe if you guys were hanging around, it had been Calvert and I against a couple of you guys, Eric. Oh, and yeah. we would have we had more fun. You would have gone home and gone, man, we just played two-on-two with these guys, you know, and and watched on TV and said, oh, man, that was great. We were, you know, we were in Assembly Hall playing against those guys. I mean, I'd have jumped in some of the runs for sure. <laughs> yeah. And – I just thought the guys could have been like our guys on our squad. We don't have to call them out by name. Sure. I tried to probe them a little bit and see if I could get them to interact more with the with the fantasy camp guys. I just really didn't. And I just I, I know that I would have, and I would have liked to have seen those guys do that a little more. Not my job, right? Not right. my place to tell them that. But I thought they could have done a little bit more. And if I if anybody asked me, uh, Archie or anybody else or pro camps asked me for some feedback. I, that's what I'd say is, hey, encourage these current players. You know, these guys are going to go back to their hometowns and like all those guys from Charlotte. Yeah, you should see the text and the emails I'm getting from the guys that I drafted from that that Red Ventures company. Yeah, it made me feel great. I mean, these guys were like, hey, we had so much fun. You made it a ton of fun. We loved it. You know, storytelling with you. We just had a blast, and you made the basketball fun. And because I needled these guys a little bit, but I. I, my feedback to pro camp and the, the, the program would be, hey, let's get the current guys out there on the court, goofing around. I mean, just talking to guys. I just I wanted a little bit more interaction from them. Yeah, I, I can only speak to my team where Deron Davis was my guy. 
yeah. Duran was great to me. Like he was when I came out, he was high fiving me when I was drawing charges. I oh, do, good, I do good. hear what you're saying though. I I understand that. I I when you're when you, I think you were able to watch a little bit more. I was either playing or doing everything I could to recover to play for the next game. <laughs> and so and Duran was just such a sweet guy to me. So I I appreciated what what he did. Well, that's good. I'm well, I'm glad to hear that too. Because I mean, I just that's not what I was seeing down right. there. And I, like I said, I was trying to get him going a little bit. Ward, I gotta throw this one at you this is hit me this is tough to tell this is tough to own up to but number 11 it wasn't isaiah he, he was a lot more like dockage than he was isaiah <laughs> or maybe jadlow Jad oh jeez <laughs> but this dude hit two critical he, he he busted a three and then people were questioning whether or not he was on the line or not and really kind of calling <laughs> oh, him out for like oh, making a lucky shot i didn't and hear he, that part oh uh, he busted a three and the 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 guy keeping the score, they had the microphone. He questioned the shot. Did he question you? No, no. He said, he said Pankowski luck, with the lucky bounce. <laughs> That's what and he said. And then the next time, this, this was pretty cool. This, If I were you, I know you wanted to take a charge, but this would have been my highlight as a wannabe scorer was the next time down. I mean, they called him out for a lucky shot. And then it was a pivotal game. We were close, and we were right there with you guys. So it, was, it was really kind of a critical part of the game. The ball swings around right in front of me again. Both of these are right in front of my bench, and he sticks about a 17-footer in my eye. And But what he didn't do, this was messed up. He did not eyeball the bench. He didn't eyeball the scores table. I would have been talking trash if I would have knocked that shot down that you did, and you you, you didn't do that. You were no. kind of easygoing out there. Well, I turned around and ran down. I was so excited. And Bruiser, my coach, had his hands up in the air, questioning what in the world was happening in the on Earth that that I just made these two shots. So I was interacting <laughs> with him, and 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 I, my response was, I don't know what the hell's going on. That's what I said to Bruiser. So there's my confidence level. Look, look, look guys, this I'm sure this was great, and it's been great hearing these stories. But I should fill you in that. Two days ago, I went to pick up my kids at their grade school. They both go to the same school. And I was hearing about all these fantasy camps, and I was seeing the videos and how Eric had some on-court heroics. <laughs> and there was like uh, five third graders out on the court. And yeah. I'm like holding both my little kids' hands, and I'm like, I, I give the kid a look with the ball. I'm like, hook it up, hook yeah, it up. Yeah. He, he tosses me the ball. I grab it in the corner. I throw it up. Airballed it. One hundred percent didn't touch anything. Nice. And I was so glad that nobody saw me play basketball in Bloomington this weekend, and that Eric was the one representing yeah. us, because the only only thing I could count on is laying down a good screen. Uh, there you go. Hey, that's needed. That's well, needed. Come look, on. Brian, we're going to wrap this up because you've given us basically your entire afternoon, and we appreciate it. But I I want to wrap up with saying this. Like you, Ward and I grew up insane fans of Indiana basketball. Ward's an Indiana kid from Peru. I grew up in St. Louis. My dad grew up in East Chicago, Indiana, and I've been a Hoosier as long as I was drawing breath. And I was a giant fan of yours at a time when Indiana basketball was really solidified for me as the thing that was going to be a passion for me my whole life. And watching you over your career for your four years of playing and five years there, the satisfaction I got as a fan watching how you played the game, how you represented the school, your improvement year to year, 
when you won that Big Ten Player of the Year award, and the reason I kind of focused on it, while I love that for you it was all about the name on the front of the jersey, as it should be for anybody playing Indiana basketball, for fans of yours, that was like validation for the journey we went on for you. And getting oh. a chance to meet you at this camp, I'm going to try not to get emotional here, Brian, because I know you'll bust my balls next year at it, but um, getting a chance to meet you, hang out with you, talk to you, have you bust my balls in between games, it made this experience for me, this just fan from St. Louis, Missouri, it, it made it the single best experience of my entire life. And that's not hyperbole. That's not BS. That's what this weekend was for me. And and that is large part due to you and how you interacted with everyone there. My good friend uh, who I grew up with, Andrew Rothenberg, who was on your team, um, just loves you and, and talked about how much fun it was just being around you. You made it special, not just for me, but for that camp. And I was a huge fan of yours before. I would lay down in traffic for you now, man. And, oh, man. Yeah, and, you're killing me. Why are you trying to get me all I'm salty? Ta- Come I'm, on. I'm sorry, man. I it, That weekend of basketball was not a weekend of basketball. It was a weekend of pure life joy. And, oh, man. Well, and, you're, you're, you're as big of a Hoosier fan as me. Um, <laughs> that's probably why we stayed on the podcast for so long. I, I share that with you, man. I, I really do. I, I just I got super duper lucky. You heard it from the beginning, um, and it never it's never really worn off. I mean, I, I know that I kind of snuck in the back door to get there, and I certainly wasn't going to let you know uh, give anything unless my without my best effort playing there. I got to play with all these all Americans. All I mean, think about this. I mean, all these guys that are in the hall. My whole team were in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I get in the Hall of Fame. Eric Anderson made the greatest joke. He's like. He did my uh, introduction, and he goes. He was talking about you know Brian was the best guy, best player that I ever played with. He goes, well, maybe except for Calvert and Allen <laughs> and Damon. It just goes down the list, and it was pretty cool. And that you know, I think when you think about that, though, I, I mean, I, I got surrounded by all these guys. I got to learn from all those guys, and I was there at just the, the coolest time. Um, but I go back now. I go straight back from 1996 to. Uh, being a, just a big Indiana fan like I was my whole life and, you know, to, to talk to you guys and to spend time there, to spend time in Assembly Hall. I don't get to think about it. I don't get to go in there. I don't get to be on that court. I love that place. And so, you know, that weekend for me was it was it was super duper cool to be there, to be on the floor, to shoot free throws, talking to you like I could. It's it's oozing out of you how big of a fan you are and how much you love that program. And, and I share that with you. So I all the, the compliments that you threw my way. Hey man, I I'm humbled. That's too cool of you. You're, you're a super dude. Um, and I'm happy to, to go back if they invite me back. Hey, get on them too, by the way. Cause I think their plan is to probably just keep finding different people. If you, if you're going to go back, tell them that you're not going unless I go. Oh, I'll go. Uh, you got that. And I got to tell you, man, you talked about how lucky you were to play with all those players. When you were a junior and senior, you had a bunch of guys under you who were lucky to play with you. And I know that anybody listening to this is lucky to have spent these last couple hours with you. And Brian, we are coming to Bloomington on November 16th, Saturday, November 16th. We're going to do a big live event for the podcast. Our fans have been wanting us to do one, and we've been wanting to do one. And we're going to have former players there. We're going to do it at a bar in Bloomington. November 16th, we would be honored for you to stop by if you can. 
No, you know I'll do it. If I can do it, I'll do it for sure. Just shoot me a, a text or something. Remind me. I I'll will. put it in the phone. But, I, you know, I'd be happy to do it. I, guys, I could sit and talk trash to you all the time. I mean, this going through my whole career is I, I get it. It's, you know, it's what you want to do. But I can talk smack on so many different <laughs> levels. <laughs> I know you can. And like, I if you come you up with a good topic and you just want me to pop on, I'll, I'll do it in a second. I love this stuff. Oh, well, we will definitely take you up on that because I have a feeling we'll have lots to go off on on this season. Oh, what? yeah. We, yeah. We're going to want some hot takes with Brian. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll get frustrated with just like anybody else, and I'll talk some smack. I, I will say this, though, Brian, uh, and look, you, you have much more of an insight into this than I do, but I walked away from this camp experience besides what I just said, which I mean – in my bones, but I know there's going to be frustrations on the court, but I watched Archie interact with those guys. I got to talk to Bill Comar and Tom Ostrom. I feel better about the staff than I did because I didn't know them at all. And just getting to know them, I felt how much they cared and how much they grind at this and how hard they work. I feel good about it going forward. I feel really good. good. I'm glad you do. And I hope, I hope other people do too. And it's, you know, it's, very few people get to see that from the inside like you just did, which is, which is, I think is cool. A part of that fantasy thing than, than playing, right. It's yes. to be a part, just be around everybody for a few days. Um, now they're going to be, I think they're going to be all right, but it's, you know, it's a tough conference. It's yeah. a tough profession. I mean, there's a reason I never wanted to get in it. I mean, I just saw, I saw what that life looks like and it's hard, man. I, you know, I don't, I don't want his job. Right. I don't want his job. And so, I give him all the support I can, um, and I, th- I do think they can get it done. I really do. Great, Brian. Thanks so much, buddy. I really, really. Hey, you guys are the best. It. No sweat. No sweat. I was. I enjoyed talking to you guys. All Look, right, you be good. We'll do it again soon, okay. man. Bye bye. Right, take care. Brian Evans. I don't know what to say. Brian Evans. He just fills this part in my heart where after Calbert left and those guys left and you're like, that was my favorite team ever. What now? And Brian Evans was what what happened. And I know Damon and Steph was still around, but it, as that sort of group left and then he Bri- was the last Brian Evans. Yeah, but he emerged to really be like, wow, we're we're like, yeah, two years later, we still have one of the best players in the entire country yeah. on our team. I also think there was some symmetry to that era of like, it started with, Eric Anderson was an incredible player, but that era felt like it started with the Cheney teams. And I kind of look at it as Cheney at one end, lefty smooth shooter, and Brian Evans, lefty smooth shooter at the end. I know what, very No, no, players. the very end was Eric Pankowski, lefty smooth shooter. <laughs> Wait, no, not lefty. Are you, no, you're no, righty. No. I mean, it may look like I'm shooting with my left hand, but it's not. Wait, you're right-handed. Yeah, right-handed. I just, I meant what I said. He made the camp so much fun. I I know I shared some of the Brian stories when we talked on our podcast last time, but I wanted him to share them, and I wanted to kind of save how good he was. You never saw Brian Evans alone at that camp. Mm. Never. And I'm not talking about being alone with like Archie or I saw him talking to Archie and Mike Rob. He was with his team. He was with me. He was with my friends that I met at the camp. He was in the middle of the court shooting shots. Well, I'm talking about how he was taking the young freshman under his arm when some of the other upperclassmen leaders weren't. It's clearly it's just part of who this guy is. He's a leader. Yeah. He's a leader. And and to have somebody like that, one, just being back down in Bloomington and 
clearly he he wanted a little bit more from the underclassmen uh but hopefully they were watching and listening maybe a couple of them tune in and hear like man there was there was somebody who was great on great teams who was the Big 10 MVP who played in the NBA and he thought we could be a little bit more like this. That's that's part of why it's so important for these young guys to be around the older guys. Agreed. And it's part of what you and I talked about on the last one. It's going to take time for Archie to establish the culture that he wants. They The staff knows they've had a really quiet team. Mm-hmm. I think I said that on the last one. But that's a problem for them. They don't like that at all. Right. That's why Joey Brunk... Part of the reason why Joey Brunk is on the team. It's part of why guys like Armand Franklin and Trace are on the team. Um, They're not quiet. And it's why they're recruiting Matt Cross. Mm -hmm. They don't want quiet. They want a loud, rambunctious, spirited group. And that stuff translates to some of the stuff that Pat was hoping to see more of. It's going to take a little time. You mean Brian? I'm sorry. What what did I say? Pat? Pat. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brian. Um it's just going to take a little time, but just focusing back on Brian Evans, this guy, he's got nothing to gain by talking to me at the camp. He's got nothing to gain by hanging out the whole weekend there, except for his love of Indiana. Yeah, clearly and he has the same thing to gain that you do, which is really crazy because he's he spent he did it five years of his life in that building, and just to get back to be there to share it with other former players, current and the coaches and you guys. It was so, like we're so romantic and passionate about the program and our love for it, but to see somebody who went through it feel the same way we do. Totally. It's I, it's really refreshing. Ins- yeah, it's really refreshing and inspiring that we're not just looking at it all through crimson colored glasses, but that you can go through it and come out the other end just like us. It has meaning. Like it's just it sounds silly, but if you're listening to this podcast, you get it. It has meaning. And why else would Calbert Cheney one talk to us? Right. And then two, you know, which makes a lot more sense, but just squeeze in a couple of hours to drive and or fly to another state. You didn't fly, you drove. To pop in, you know, to just make just that to be connection. There. Yeah, and and I think that next year's experience will be even more robust because this was the first year. Look, that was a really fun one. I knew this, I mean, five minutes into talking to him at the camp, I think I texted you and was like, well, we FaceTimed. Yeah, and what a thrill. We FaceTimed like, with you know, Brian Evans, with Ward from the camp. I don't know, 20 minutes into me meeting him? I mean, it was early, and I could just tell this is a guy who wanted to share the experience. He knew what it meant to me and to everyone there, and he just dove in and had fun with it. Well, and and I didn't know he was going to be there. I'm not sure you did. But then when you're like, hey, Ward, I'm here with Brian, and it was the first Brian that popped into my mind, and then you turn your phone over, and there's towering Brian Evans smiling into the phone looking at me. Well, I was a thrill. And and I did get to share that moment with you guys, and I'll I'll never forget yeah, that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really incredible. All right, we've kept you on long enough. Uh Please follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, No Vowels and Hysterics. For those of you that do follow us, we passed the milestone of hitting 2,000 Twitter followers. Thank you. Who was our 2,000th follower? Our 2,000th follower was none other 
than associate head coach and stud Tom Ostrom. Oh, hello, so thank coach. you. Thank you, Coach Ostrom, for that. We're still working on Archie. Bruiser hasn't used Twitter in about four years, but we're going to work on him. Bill Comar. Bill Comar follows us. Shout out, Bill so, Comar. Um, again, I know we're harping on this journey that, that I went on last week, and, and I really hope it doesn't come across self-serving because that's not the point of it. But it just is really satisfying to go on this journey with all of you guys listening and all of your Twitter comments and Pig's message board posts. Join us for the next magical weekend in Bloomington. November 16th. The game against Troy. We don't know the time, but we'll probably do the event uh, at a bar several hours before the game starts, so give everybody time to get over to the game. We'll time it out. You won't be rushed or flustered either way. And then the other thing we're going to do is we'll be in the South Hall, the South Lobby of Assembly Hall, the hour before the game, hosting another podcast. We're going to see every all the fans walking in. We'll be by the statues. Uh, so come by and say hi if you're at that game, but we'll give you more updates as we get closer. November 16th. Um, and we mentioned it earlier in the show, too. Uh, so lots of good stuff to come. Thanks a lot. Email us at HoosierHysterics at gmail.com. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.